The Gun Dog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app from your phone's app store today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off your Onyx subscription. And while you are working on that, guys, remember that it is the new season. So you want to hop on that Onyx map subscription ASAP, guys. I know a lot of y'all are starting up the the new season. And and fortunately for most of y'all, y'all are starting way earlier than I am because my quail season don't start till November. So, guys, just, you know, make sure you get on top of that promo code. I appreciate all the support that so many of you guys have shown thus far. Um, I also want to talk about Yuganuba Sporting Dog, man. You know, of, of course, them, them my folks, them my people. Um, first and foremost, I want to talk about Yuganuba Sporting Dog um, last year because they took us out to the Kentucky Derby, uh, had us at the uh, Kentucky Oaks, and I am officially an owner. Uh, one share. <laughs> one whole share all right but i'm an owner of a kentucky derby winner this year's kentucky derby winner uh authentic um you know i was able to get get a share i mean i you know i i I don't know man i'm just excited about it that's i i got so many words for it but i'm really excited um my racehorse stables is is a really really cool um app and and you know, it's it's definitely the new wave of, of horse ownership and things like that. So with Yuganuba Sporting Dog, I kind of want to thank them for that, for just being able to um, fulfill a dream of mine that was to be able to get to Churchill Downs. Um, my granddaddy and I, we watched horse racing as and when I was a kid and all the way up through now. Um, but this year with the virus and everything, nobody was at um, at at the race that wasn't supposed to be there. But anyway, with you can have a sporting dog, the all the, the 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 new thing, all right. The new thing is this new bag, right? So many of y'all saw that Chewy and, and everywhere else that sells you can have a sporting dog, um, they're out, they're clean out. But that's for good that that's 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 for definitely a good thing guys the new bag is here i got my two bags um and the best part about it is they're not the 20 pound bags anymore they are the 40 pound bags now so you know i can't wait to get to to get through this old stuff and and crack open this new bag and the new details for the the updates and all the good nutritional values and stuff like that that'll be coming up soon i'll 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 get to talking about that a little bit more um, in depth as we move throughout the next few weeks. Um, also, guys, another new sponsor, uh, Trinity Kennels. I'm just really grateful for them and, and, and to have their support from Jeff and, and Josh Reuter. Um, in the last two episodes, you guys heard them and, and, and they were extremely delightful to speak with and, and extremely knowledgeable. A lot of stuff I didn't know about French Britney's. But I've really gotten a chance to develop a good friendship, um, more than just a sponsorship. I I, I want to reiterate that a very good friendship, um, especially with Josh over the last few weeks. Um, and Josh is actually the reason for this episode with George Hickok. So I want to personally thank Josh Reuter for setting this up. Um, George is is a 
dude that I've been waiting to speak to for a very long time. Um, and, and now I finally get a chance to do so. Um, if you're looking for a champion pedigrees, guys, you should contact Trinity Kennels, um, home of the champion bloodlines. Okay. He is a national Elevage champion, that dog moose. And you'll hear, hear about moose on this podcast as well. Um, but the dogs are field tested, family approved, you know, and they're just all around great dogs. I get updates on moose all the time and that dog got it, man. So check out Trinity Kennels um, at trinitykennels.org. All right. And my next sponsor, we back on the map with Dakota 283 Kennels. I'm just going to lead this here. All right. I'm going to keep it, keep it plain, keep it simple. There's some new super dope stuff coming from Dakota 283 very very soon i just got the update i just got some photos of some new things coming out i'm not gonna leak it too soon but just look write this down for me all right remember remember it write it down tgdn10 for 10 percent off the upcoming new releases when you check out a dakota 283 product all right and of course i want to go in and thank Garmin and Lion Country Supply for everything that they do to support the Gundog Notebook and and everything that we have going on here to keep us looking right, looking tight, and keep them e collars. That that Pro 550 Plus best e collar in the world. That's that's I'm gonna say that now. That's best training collar. Um. So now let's get on to my my own personal stuff, man. Minority Outdoor Alliance, guys. Uh, I can't believe how much support I've gotten for the Minority Outdoor Alliance ever since um, I started taking on this new objective, this new direction, um, and, and just handling this new responsibility. My wife and I have really been proactive about getting this thing off the ground, our board members, um, and, and just everybody showing so much love and show much, so much support for diversity in the outdoor community that's hunting fishing and bird dogs and all kinds of stuff like that and just you know know that we believe it's important now more than ever to make the outdoors for everyone so that we can present a unified effort to protect and conserve our lands and of course fulfill the call on all of our hearts to pass everything down to the next generation and increase it in value we need to leave things better than what we found it um i want to go in and actually read a piece from aj derosa um you know on some things that are actually aligned with our cause but in the recent um issue of project upland magazine i mean aj spelled it out for you i don't know how much how, how much more you want but you know aj in the volume two issue three um magazine of project upland magazine with of course ruben mata if you haven't checked out the video um aj left a nice little note from the um i mean i guess it's it's the editor's note but i want to go ahead and just take a take a second to kind of read through this really quick um because it was just really 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 powerful so give me a second to you know get to this page it's it's called disturbed forest it's on page 12 okay and 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 i'm gonna i'm gonna take this down a little bit and and um just give you the important piece of everything that we have going on here and i think this just really aligns with what we're doing with at the minority outdoor alliance and with project upland and with northwoods collective and of course the gundog notebook podcast but 
I just wanted to be the one to just thank AJ for his very, very, very powerful letter um, from, of course, letter from the creative director. Of course, go in and read Disturbed Forest on page 12, guys. Um, it was moving and it shows where we're heading in the uplands and in our community, guys. So thank you so much for supporting Minority Outdoor Alliance. Um, as always, I want to encourage you to go to the website, um, visit, you can take a look at the uh, the two new articles that we have posted. I wrote one by the call of the quail to follow the drinking gourd. And then we have another article, Invis Invisibility and the Power of Representation, written by Jennifer Wapinski, another one of our uh, Minority Outdoor Alliance board members and, and representatives um, and a good friend of mine as well. So anywho, guys, check out Minority Outdoor Alliance at MinorityOutdoorAlliance.org. Um, of course, you know, if you have any questions about it or want to hop in and support, please reach out to you. And many of you have. Um, and I'm going to say thank you again for that. All right, guys. So we are going on to the episode with George Hickox. This one was a great episode. I, 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 I just feel like we're, we're, we're getting better and better as more episodes of the Gundog Notebook podcast um, continue to be produced. And, and the more people I meet and honestly, the better I get to be as a dog man. So with that being said, I want to introduce George Hickox, George Hickox Bird Dogs. Right now, he is up on the prairies training dogs and, you know, doing what I wish I could be doing right now. So anyway, guys, stay tuned for the episode. Thank you all again for tuning in and uh, we'll see you all at the end. This is this has always been my thing, and and you brought up two very significant places for bird dog history, right? So, and I'm I'm gonna deviate a little bit from the questions I sent you because now you got the history nerd in me trying to come out. So, <laughs> <laughs> you got the history nerd, man. I, I gotta I gotta ask. All right, so we had a bunch of like significant, I mean, great dog men, um, you know, Gates family, so on and so forth. They're coming out of Georgia. Yep. And, and spending right. time there. But then let's go even further back. We got man ran and, you know, everybody out of Sedgefields yep. in Alabama. Right. And I was talking to a buddy of mine and I told him like hunting in, in Georgia and Alabama, it's, it's very similar in a lot of ways, but I feel like the dog man are just, I don't know what it is about in a different, it's like Alabama dog, man. It, it's something, it's like a certain type of grit versus Georgia dog, man. There's like this, this kind of, polish or something like it they're just you know what i'm trying to say is they're just a little bit different they're they're running yeah it is you know i think it's because of the plant i mean sedgefield is sedgefield i mean you yeah. know i mean it's got a history you know behind it it's as long as you know a tall man's arm yeah the uh but you know when you look around that thomasville area down to tallahassee i think 
I don't quote me exactly on the math here, but I think it's 337 wild bird plantations. Mm-hmm. You know, and most of those are the owners don't necessarily live there. You know, and they have a plantation manager and they have a dog guy, okay, or two, okay, and it's all about the quail hunting. Yeah. And what makes that area so prolific is that your next door neighbor is managing for quail too. Yeah. You know, so it's very hard to have a bird population if you're you know, just a solo piece of property and then you got shopping centers around you, so to speak. Right. So the fact that the guy next to you is managing, it helps the birds on every plantation. Yeah. So, and it's just been a, the, uh, you know, the plantation, the father's on a plantation and they were on a plantation. Mm-hmm. So they grew up with dogs. They might've played a lot of hooky, you know, <laughs> from school. They were dogs all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I just, it was something every time I go down there to Thomasville, you know, um, that for the first, I'll say my first three seasons and I'm coming up on season four and a half, five now, as far as long as I've had all my dog, my, both of my dogs. Um, and Thomasville is just, just a mess. It's, it, it's, it's like, I gotta go. I don't care when it is every season. I gotta touch base down there. And the men, the, the, the black handlers that were down there, I made it a point to go meet them. And of course, since have joined that club and things like that. But there is just this, I mean, there's this, this, this long standing history down there. And I'm making it a point to actually write a book on those guys because it just, it, it really does bug me how that stuff was never written down. I, I mean, it's a story in itself. And, and, you know, of course, the plantations and they were handlers and they were dog guys. Mm-hmm. But they it's part of the tradition, okay, for bird dogs. And it's a special tradition. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is the George Hickox. I didn't introduce anything. We, we kind of just started talking. <laughs> And I'm going to warn you now, George, I can talk. So, Well, I try to match it. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So look, let's, let's, um, let's talk about your backstory. I'd feel like it would be appropriate, not just for, I guess, custom or whatever like that, but like, I really think you have a a, a Mm -hmm. unique place in the dog world. Talk about that. Yeah. Well, I grew up outside of Greenville, South Carolina. Okay, and there were, you know, a lot of farms back then. A lot of them were tenant farms. Mm-hmm. But you had, you know, small ag pieces, okay? And, of course, back then, predators were, um, you know, were monitored, so to speak, because the guy didn't want his chickens being killed. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of quail. The, uh, and so many guys just, you know, took their dog and a shotgun and started, you know, walking through the, through the quail country. Yeah. Um, and I think it just became a history of it. You know, and and um, so that's where I grew up. Um, rather than like in Canada, everybody had a hockey stick. Everybody in my area had a bird dog. Yeah. So now, did did y'all know what y'all did. had though? No, not at all. Of course, what I thought I had was the world's best dog, but in <laughs> retrospect, he wasn't. You know, but I loved him anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the uh, so you know we just you know we went out and we ran dogs. Okay, and there was you know it was just a culture. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's really where I started getting into the dog um, thing was, you know, way back when as a kid. And, you know, then it just kept going. I had a, a painful time of working in New York after college oh. and hated every minute of it. 
<laughs> doing uh, doing what? Oh, I was in, I worked for a textile company. Okay. Okay. And I went to, you know, school in the evening. And then I said, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and, you know, then I just went back to doing dogs full time. Okay. Man, that's a, that's, that is a, you know, a commitment, man. And you've definitely um, made your mark. But this is my thing. I, from the dogs and, 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 and the opportunities that you guys have had then did it ever feel like y'all were on a decline as far as quail i'm not the type of person that likes to be like the quail pessimist i find birds and when i find them i appreciate them but did it ever feel like some years you just weren't getting enough contacts oh sure because you know i was pretty mobile i mean i you know ended up being sponsored so i mean i've run across canada and you know the u.s and and you've seen the decline of birds uh you know i've guided in alaska i've guided in the maritimes with dogs um, habitat's, uh, you know, a big portion, yep. um, you know, and, you know, also back in time, the height of the quail was during the DDT. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying let's bring DDT back. Right. Okay. But, okay, that was the height of the quail population. And, uh, you know, and farming practices were different back then. So there was more edge cover. Uh, there was more habitat for the birds to, you know, to nest and do well. Right. Um, so I think that, you know, the combination of both of those, um, you know, has, has certainly affected the thing. You take parts of Alabama and that black belt of Alabama, you know, it's just because of the soil. I mean, that was a quail rich environment, um, you know, and, and it's harder and harder. Yeah. I don't care whether the guy hunts woodcock and grouse or wild pheasants or whatever. There's less habitat, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, so less habitat, less birds. Now, were y'all were y'all as big in the woodcock as quail like was that a thing back then not down there okay. you know quail was you know quail was quail you know you remember you know who dave meisner was started gun dog magazine yes, and like winning dog journal and um dave was with me one time in georgia riding on a horse and of course he had hunted all over because of his you know job of pointing dog journal he got to hunt in mexico and went to argentina and so forth and he said to me, George, you know, there's three ways to hunt quail. One of them's off horseback in Georgia. The second one's off horseback in Georgia. And the third one's off horseback in Georgia. <laughs> so, you know, that, yeah. that area of uh, Georgia that had that tradition, um, you know, after the Industrial Revolution, so to speak, you know, guys said, hey, we have these little birds down here. And then you had people that, you know, had money and bought things and they were geared quail was everything they weren't doing it for cotton they were doing it for quail right you know so you had those plantations uh, and they didn't live there so you needed handlers and people who were going to be dog guys and horse guys um and that's where most of those guys grew up mm-hmm. now and it's it's so interesting you say that um because I, I I always and I don't own a horse, but I've got plenty of friends that are so kind to loan me, you know, horses to, to run a dog and things like That's that. A better way to do it. OK, I was going <laughs> to say, because there, there's always that misconception that like all us Georgia guys, all you know, all we do is hunt off a horseback. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I, right. I hunt off a of foot most of the time. But when I can get a horse, I do. And and that's most of my clients. Most of my clients are foot hunters. Okay. Um, You know, most of my clients are not field trialers. I got some that certainly are field trialers. But the majority of the guys and and ladies that we're working with, 
they're looking for a discerning dog, but they're foot hunters. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, things have changed. And one time I was driving up to a clinic in New Jersey, and I'd left, I don't know, doing one in North Carolina. And I'm driving up, and I'm looking out the window in 95, and I'm going through Philadelphia after Baltimore, Washington. And I said, you know, at the end of a day, where does somebody go and even take their dog and go run it? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that certainly has changed a lot of the, the stuff. And, of course, as you know, being in the business there, you know, there's fewer and fewer youth that is going into the hunting portion. Yep. Um, you know, so it, it's changed. Now, just for my schools, it's changed. You know, the guy who came to school 20 years ago probably had five, six, seven dogs. Yep. You know, and that's, you know, it's not the case now. Um, most of the people have one or two. I'm not talking about the guy who hunts hard. I'm talking about somebody who's got their dog and wants to take some trips. And they're probably hunting a reserve the majority of the time. And then maybe taking a wild bird trip to wherever, Iowa, North Dakota, um, you know, Georgia, and a, a lot of it's going to be pin raised birds. And I'm not knocking that because right. hunting is hunting and, you know, go have fun with your dog. Right. But there's less wild birds and less places that the individual can just say, I'm going to go wild bird hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where do they go in Georgia even? I mean, if, they, if you don't have a relationship with somebody who's got a plantation, um, where you've got you know a little honey hole on some public land, yep. you know they're they're you know they're not going to go out and see twenty five cubbies a day. Exactly, exactly. I mean it's you know I I came back last season. Um, you know it was my pointer's first season, man, and I was I mean just thrilled that we we hopped on six cubbies that day. I mean because yeah, I never I'd right. never seen anything like that down here. You know I get one or two. Right. Um, and, and I mean, it, it does take some mileage, you know, you're going to put it on, but like you say, it's about having the relationship with the landowners and my buddy Shane, just like this past Sunday, you know, let me come on to his property that he manages and there's sure. wild birds there, but that's not a norm, man. No, and, it, and it's not available for the average person. Now, okay. now, now yeah, let me, let me, let me peg you at one of the questions we had on there, just in regards to the situation. Do you think that because of the, the, the decline or the, the, the lack of resources, do you think that's changed consumer interest in the breeds? Oh, absolutely. I do. Okay. Okay. Some, some of that is going to, you know, back in, back in time, you know, let's take the Georgia, Alabama area, mm-hmm. you know, the dog was a bird dog. He wasn't living in the house. I'm not knocking that. Yeah. He wasn't living in the house. He was a bird dog. Right. You know, now majority of the dogs, I would say the majority, you know, are going to have a dual life. They're going to be a pet companion dog, family member that somebody also goes hunting with. And and you can have a great dog that way as long as you follow some rules. Right. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think that's changed it. Um you know, you take like that Brittany that we're working that, you know, Josh yep. and Jeff have. Yep. Um, you know, the Brittany sort of came into it because he was going to be smaller, maybe retrieve out of water for the, you know, guy who hunts grouse, you know, woodcock in, in the Northeast, um, and not run as big. And and that's really what I look at this moose dog. Mm-hmm. But then we got the American Brittany that became, oh, he's not running big enough. He's not a pointer. So let's try to make him run bigger. You know, and he can be not the ideal dog for the novice trainer. Right. Not saying he's not a great dog. Just maybe more dog than somebody who's training once a month. Right. Okay, is going to be able to really enjoy. Well, and that it, it's, it's so funny you say that. Um, 
you know, I, I, and I don't want to get into the semantics of like what went into this, what into this, but we we all know just as dogmen as as you get further and further into it, we know pointers and setters were pretty much the original bird dogs as far as American ideals go. Um, bef- right. before they started bringing stuff over here, and that was because any and even with pointers, the the pointers changed. The range was was extended and things like that. To fit the American landscape, um, right. do, is this a thing that you've seen? Even and, and again, I'm 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 interested in how you've seen the development. Is it? Have you seen people continue to develop bigger running dogs to fit this landscape? I'm I'm going to back away from not not back away from answering it, but I'm going to go at it maybe in a little different way. Okay, I think you could take a dog like Bolt. Uh-huh. Okay, or tried and true dogs, well done dogs. And we talking about Chelsea's Thunderbolt for folks that's listening, and, but yeah, and exceptional dogs, right? And I think it's how you start developing early, mm-hmm. and I don't mean pressure, pressure, pressure. Now, okay, I mean if you got them just running big in the beginning, and you're just driving them off a horse or a four wheeler, and they find birds at a thousand yards, they're going to be thousand yard dogs. Mm-hmm. If they were finding birds when they were fifty yards, they're going to, you know, and they find a bunch at fifty yards. They're going to hunt closer. So I'm a big believer in training. One of the calls that we'll get from somebody who hasn't done business with us, and this time of year it happens, okay, which this time of year we don't have anything for sale. (laughs) Why would a dog be for sale right before hunting season? Why hadn't he been sold before that? But somebody say, how big does he run? And they forget that magical word, training. Mm -hmm. What did you train him to do? Um, I also do special forces dogs that get deployed, Mm -hmm. okay, you know, with whatever, with an 80, I won't mention names, but you know, okay. <laughs> but so you dealing with some, some, some high caliber dogs, high caliber dog. I call They're sort of the pointer of the bite dog world. Okay. <laughs> so they're Malinois. And what I say is, you know, somebody, how do you train them? You train them exactly the same way. You don't want the dog to take out an IED. You don't want your pointer to take out a quail cubby. Yeah. You know, so he has to smell it and stop. You don't want him to go try to dig it up. You know, that's not a, that's not a good thing. Right. So they learn the same. Their task is different. Yeah. So I think if you just take a dog that has a lot of drive, that doesn't make him stubborn, has a lot of drive and a lot of heart, and you don't have him where he's finding birds in your range that you're comfortable with, and he finds them way further, and he's got heart, how's he going to run? So now he runs too big. The guy puts pressure on him, takes some style out of him, you know, it, it's it's a training thing. So I don't think there's a dog out there in the all-age or the field trial circuit that wouldn't make a really good gun dog. Yeah. So maybe not the way he's running now, but genetically. Right. So how did you train him? What were you trying to do? Right. You know? So um, I'm prejudiced with pointers because they're the money dog in the in the field trial game. But there's great Britneys. There's great Drothars. There's, you know, German shorthairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're all normally have some genetics and they were a product of good training. Right. Right. Now, okay, so let's let's talk about training and, and just the the differences. You got moose, right? And I want to talk about how yep. you're working moose um from Trinity Kennels. Okay. All right. We we know that dog is stacked. I was just watching some videos on them. Josh sent me some a second ago. And okay. um and then you've got Chelsea's Thunderbolt bolt. Um, now, how are you working those dogs different? And talk about the, the unique characteristics of the individual dog and then talk about how you're working them. Okay. The, 
you know, I didn't see Moose when he was young. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I saw him roughly a year ago for the first time when I was doing the clinic out there. Uh, And, you know, he points, he's a talented dog. Mostly what I've been dealing with from a training aspect of the dog, he's he's a genetically talented Brittany, no question. Right. Uh, He likes his birds. He's got points. Most of what's happened is he guided, and I'm not trying to tattletale, but when he was guided, he had a 1,000 birds. Literally, Josh said, you know, he probably had a 1,000 birds. So when a bird got up, people were shooting it. Whether the dog had good manners or didn't have good manners, he got to retrieve it, he got his mouth on it, he was allowed to creep. That's where it went south of the border. So most of what I've been working with is not trying to develop genetics, I've been trying to fix problems that maybe the problem wasn't quite right. Okay. okay. And and that's not being derogatory. You know, I mean, I said it to Josh. Okay. Um, they, so most of the things that would stop him from winning a trial, maybe not now, but let's say two months ago, were all man-made things, not a genetic thing. Right. So, you know, it starts genetic training nutrition. So if you don't have genetics, I don't care how good a trainer you are, you're not going to have an A-plus dog. If you've got the best genetics in the world and you don't have a good training program, you're still not going to have a good dog. Right. And if you feed him potato chips, you're not going to have any performance. Right. So it takes all three of those, in my opinion, okay, to make a world-class dog. Genetics, training, nutrition, all three of them. Right. Um, now, it, it, and, I, and I feel like a lot of people – aren't fortunate enough to to have that what I would call a good problem with with moose that's that's a good thing to have to deal with a dog with a whole hell of a lot of contacts and all you got to do is round out the edges um yeah I mean he had too many birds and he got away with stuff because the guiding and the shooting of the bird became more important than the training of the dog yeah but the guys who are winning that that's their job Mm -hmm. okay is that the dog you know you pay an entry fee and if he doesn't win you lost money yeah yeah. You know, they're not, everything is focused about making that dog or keeping that dog to maximize his genetics. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have good genetics, well, he's not going to win in the big game, but he's not going to be the best bird dog in the world either. I'm right. just talking about the walking foot hunter goes, you know, two weekends a year. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have to have, you know, a bird dog, but then you have to train him. Mm-hmm. I ran Springers for years. I was sponsored on Springer Did Circuit. Was, I did not know that. That's why that yeah I was on the Springer Circuit. I got hired by a company to win High Point, and I campaigned in Canada for a few years. And if you didn't train a Springer, you know to sit on the flush and so forth and so on. And he was just able to go out there and run ragged. He was going to flush birds. He was going to find birds, but you weren't going to be able to shoot one of them because they'd be out of range. Right. So the big difference between the flushing dog and the pointing dog: your pointing dog can have the range as long as he holds point. Right. Your flushing dog can have range that's beyond gun dog. I mean, gun range because you're not going to be able to shoot any birds. Right. Right. It, it, it's not going to happen. Um, no. So I think that you know, with the pointing dog guy who doesn't train him, what happens is he's got a dog that's going to run bigger if he's got any heart and drive, and he found some birds out there, but he's not trained. Then the guy had a miserable Saturday afternoon because his dog is out of control. He's yelling and screaming and pushing the button on a on an e-collar. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's not training the dog. Yeah. Okay? And you hunt wild birds, and the more noise you make, the you might see birds, but you're not going to see them in gun range. Right. You know, so the thing isn't to make a lot of noise out there, it's a well-trained dog. Right. And just let it happen. Now, 
I, I want to I want to touch one more thing on Moose because um, I know you've yep. seen a lot of I know you've seen a lot of Britneys. I mean, French Britneys, American yep. Britneys, so on and so forth. What is it that made that you think made Moose the Elevage champion last year? What what one thing would you say? I think that Moose. Okay, if I think he falls into the program uh, eagerly. Okay, he likes to learn. Um, he will, you know, handle the correction, but he's a dog that if you show him, okay, you're not using a bunch of corrections. Mm-hmm. Um, you show him what you want. Uh, he, he's a very biddable dog. Um, and, and Josh and Jeff did a good job. Okay. Now I wasn't there in that early stage, but I'm just looking at the product they got. They've done a good job. They had, you know, some things, I think their next dog, they would do a little differently. Right. Um, but Moose is, uh, he, he wants birds, he wants to point. He doesn't want to be a Springer Spaniel. Um, <laughs> yeah. he, he'll run with me, it's a little different. We started running, he's going to be, you know, in foot hunting trout. But I've been, the majority of the summer, he's been running off of horseback to extend his range, but he has to handle. Yeah. He's not running out of the country, he still has to handle. Um, so it's not staying on top of him to hack at him all the time. It's just, come on, buddy, we're going to have a good time. Let's go do this. We're buddies. Okay, let's let's get out there and go have fun and find some birds. If he had a bird mistake, creeping or something, he was certainly going to be corrected on it. Uh, but he's a dog that did not need a bunch of corrections. Mm-hmm. Uh, he needed to be shown the light, so to speak. Um, and then he stepped up to the plate, and he was happy about it. He didn't hold a grudge. He wasn't uh, no vendettas. He didn't pout. He didn't sulk. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's, that's, that's a phenomenal thing. And I, I like watching him from what everything Josh sends me, sends me a couple of videos and he's, he's just a nice dog to have, you know? Um, hey, I tell you, you know, you're a pointer guy, yeah. you know, all the dogs <laughs> well, you, 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 did your, you did your homework on me, George. <laughs> well, but I, I heard the, you know, I heard the, you know, when I listened to the uh, podcast you did with Jeff, which I thought was a really good one, by the well, way. Thank you. Um, you know, and so you admitted to it, <laughs> you know, which didn't offend me. Okay, the uh, you know, um, so everything I breed today. I mean, I've had labs, I've had setters, I've bred them, and but you know, pointers is what's in the kennel that we breed. That yeah. doesn't mean dogs that we're training or at clinics. They could be any breed. Like I, I do a clinic in Montana starting this Friday, and you know, there's a couple of pointers, but there's Britneys, there's Drothars, there's Gordon setters, there's you know. Um, you know, there's a fair amount of continental reeds there. Yeah. Um, you know, so those are the dogs that the people decided is going to work for them. And if they have genetics, and I don't even mean world-class genetics, just genetics. Right. Uh, and the person has a good program. It's pretty easy. What's difficult is fiction. So doing it right from the get-go, it's pretty easy to train a dog. Right. If it took 10 years to train a dog, then everybody like myself would be out of business. Yep. You know, it's it's a case of doing it right, not doing it wrong. Well, you know? and, and, and that's and what... Maybe somewhere in the podcast we'll talk about some of the pitfalls. I think that um, somebody who didn't have a mentor who knew what they were doing... You must have been um, reading my mind. Some of the mistakes they make, they get them in trouble. So... No. You 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 must have read my mind as soon as I got on here. I was like, dang, I wanted to ask because there's always the question of a mentor. Um, so we actually, I want to talk about Bolt for a second, and then let's 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 scoop back to the the not having a mentor piece. Um, okay, because I think that's a significant 
thing, especially now for this generation. Um, Absolutely. All right. So we, 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 you got Moose, but now let's, now let's move to, to, to Chelsea's Thunderbolt. And I, I know you've met Bud Moore, but I spoke to him um, pretty extensively. Y'all have probably crossed paths on the circuit at some point in time. And, uh, he's all age. We're shooting dogs, but yes, certainly know who he is. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, and matter of fact, I'm going to digress one more time. I, I have a thing about that. Why do you prefer shooting dog versus all age? I like shooting dog, but I want to know why you do. I really like the all age game. There's an economic reason why I'm shooting dogs. Let's say that I have a group of puppies, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. tried and true puppy, bull puppies, whatever they are. Okay. And when you go through our, our kennel and you look at the dogs, there's not a dog in the kennel who doesn't come out of the dog of the year or the national champ. That's all we have. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's say we got a shooting dog and he's missing a lick in his step or he doesn't run with a high enough cracking tail. I can still sell that dog and make that dog into a quality finished dog. Okay. Okay. But if I have a shooting dog and he's been out in the prairie, I mean, I've an all age dog and he's been out in the prairies with that range the foot hunter is not going to want him. Right. So then I'd have to be changing everything about the dog and his whole background and what he's learned and his whole upbringing to make him serviceable. Okay. For the discerning foot hunter. So it's a, it's a straight economic decision for me. Okay. With the shooting dog, I can end up making that dog a walking dog or horseback dog. The all age dog is a little bit more difficult for me to do that. Okay. Okay. You you got yourself a, a a backup contingency plan just in case. Um, yeah, when we have a litter of pups, you know we're not saying oh it's got to be a field trial dog. Yeah, we're just they got to be nice dogs. Mm-hmm. And then sometime out of that hopper becomes we just sold a dog to one of Sean Kinkler's clients. Really, really, really talented, talented young Derby dog. Mm-hmm. It's going to win. I mean, no ifs, ands, and buts, right? But I didn't know when that litter would be this dog when it was eight weeks or 12 weeks of age. Things progressed. Right. And you look at this dog and say, man, this dog is a it's a winner on the big boy circuit. Not just because of run, because it stayed in the pocket, because it wanted to go with you, because it looked good on point, because it found birds. It was different. It was an exceptional dog within a world of hopefully exceptional breedings. Right. That dog went to field trailer. Okay. I'm, I'm not field trialing myself anymore. I'm not taking a client's dog and going to go run on the circuit and be gone across the country. I'd go across the country in clinics now. Right. The, uh, so it doesn't matter to me on an economic basis if that dog becomes somebody's world-class bragging right gun dog or it becomes a dog that wins on the circuit. So I look at the, the field trial dog and the gun dog, what they're expected to do as the same thing. I just look at the field trial dog as he's on public display that day. Yeah. But you want him to hold point. You want him to look classy when he's running. I want him to be straight a wing and shot. You know, I want him to handle. So, you know, to me, it's, it's sort of the same thing. You know, what what does somebody want with their dog? Yeah, you know, somebody just wants the meat dog, and I'm not being derogatory when I said it. That's not my business. Yeah. So somebody says, oh, the dog just points and breaks and chases the bird to the cattails. I see the other birds, but I went home, and I've got a an ice chest full of pheasants. I'm happy. That's not what I do. And it's not my client. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what it is. I mean, there, there's, there is, a, there is something for everyone. Um, but I think though, 
I wouldn't come buying looking for a dog from George Hickox if I had that expectation, though. I think there's also right. that understanding, you know, um, right. right. What we're doing and, and I'm a teacher. I, I teach at a, a very, very nice private school. The stuff okay. that these kids are coming to learn, their parents are expecting me to deliver. You know, they're, sure. they're, they're it's it to me it, it's the same thing. You know, bird dogs That's and educated. Right. It's it's the same thing. I am looking for a the the next level up. Even if even if it's not field trial standard. I mean, because that that is what it. But everybody wants a pleasant hunt, and everybody wants to be able to say, "Look at my dog." Well, you can't say that if your dog sure. is cutting up. And it, and, no, and that's right. Everybody, it, you know, and everybody's got the world's best dog. Right. Okay. Some of the people are right. Some of them aren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and some are a little more confident than what we probably need to. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, um, now, let, speaking of though, all right. So you got Bolt. Let's let's get into Bolt's pedigree and genetics. He's shooting dog. Um, and I'm gonna just I'm gonna just drop numbers. So we got three time Purina, you know, top shooting dog of the year, twenty one time open shooting dog champion, two time national imitator. That's a lot, man. That dog's resume looks longer than mine. He's the winningest dog in the history of open open meaning pro open shooting dog stakes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> he's the winningest dog of all times. Um, he's still running. He's healthy. He got runner up uh, at the All American here last week. Um, so barring an injury, you know, he's still playing. Mm-hmm. So when a dog is the winningest dog in the history of the game and has those credentials, there's something special about him. Now, yeah. Sean Kinkler is a hell of a handler. Okay, I, no I, watched him, I watched him handle last year at the National Open Shooting Dog. Okay. Hell of a he's, handler. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's top of the game. Yep. So Bolt's in really good hands. It's like, you know, in horse racing, Eddie Shoemaker or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, winning with horses. Every jockey you got on the horse wouldn't have won as many times as he did. So, yeah. you know, that's certainly, I want to, you know, give credit, Sean, where credit is due. See, but Bolt is, you know, an exceptional dog. Yeah. What he is, he, you know, he's an exciting dog to watch run. But he's a bird finder. I mean, when he won his first All-American, you know, he had nine wild bird finds in that hour. This is an over-release bird trial, all right? So when you find nine, you know, cubbies of sharp tails in a wild bird trial, I mean, you're, you, know, you don't have cotton stuck up your nose. <laughs> no, you really no. don't. No, and then at Hoffman, which doesn't have a bunch of birds at Hoffman in North Carolina, um, you know, he's one there. Um, so he's a bird finder. Um, he's got an exciting run style, um, you know, and, and that's, and he's been consistent. Okay. I mean, he's been a very consistent dog. So I think it was three years ago, maybe, um, when he came into the January through March circuit. I, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong by one. Okay. That he won seven out of his eight championships he went into. Well, I mean, that's consistency. That's not having a great day and then a whole bunch of mediocre days. There you go. So that, that's what makes him sort of special. <clears throat> but his family tree is special. Yeah, his dad Whippoorwill Wild begins in the Hall of Fame, and you go through Bolt's pedigree. The number of dogs that are in the Hall of Fame, you know, there's a reason that you would hope when the litter was bred that it would come out and produce something. Right. Um, so it started with the with a family tree, and then good training, good upbringing, and a good handling. Right. Um, 
so it's it's funny you mentioned horse racing, and I'm gonna brag on this a little bit if you don't mind. Um, I don't mind. <laughs> the 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 COVID nineteen Kentucky Derby just happened. Right. Okay. Um, and I had a stake. I had it one I owned one share of the horse that won. Authentic. I, you got that one percentage thing. I got that one percent. I'm a one percenter, man. <laughs> I love it. So you you could be having a bourbon with anybody and say, Hey, you were an owner of the Kentucky Derby winner. I I, I they are <laughs> so my racehorse stables, which is where I bought the share, they're sending me I'm technically in the winner's circle. Um they're about <laughs> love it. There, I think there were like a few thousand people that bought however many shares and and something about it. You, we mentioned talking about pedigree, and I went and I and I, I love horse racing. I've always been into it since I was a kid, watching my granddaddy and so on and so forth. And I always said I wanted to get into it, but of course I'm not about to spend a million dollars on a horse. I don't have that, right. <laughs> but I got two hundred and four dollars yeah. for a share. So, <laughs> so that was my way in. Well. I messed around and, and I there were a couple of horses that were like $64 a share, so on and so forth like that. And I was like, I don't really know. But then I saw this this horse authentic when it popped up and made and, and Bob Baffert made it available. And I went through the pedigree. And like you were saying, the horse was bred to perform. You know, when right. we when we look at that race and 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 watch, you know, him and Tizalaw run, and it was a very good race, by the way, but even on that dog, on, not on that dog, on that horse's bad day, getting out of the gate, he got out terribly. But mm-hmm. it's so funny you 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 saying Bolt doesn't just—it's not a fluke day. That wasn't a fluke race for me. That horse came to play. Yeah, right. You know that. that you know, years <laughs> ago, I lived in you know a farm up in Canada where I trained during the summer, uh, Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. and there was a horse that came out of Cape Breton. Cape Breton is a part of Nova Scotia in a small area and, I don't know, 150,000 people. And there were two guys that bought a horse, claiming horse. This is Trotter or Pacer, I forget which. Mm-hmm. And by the name of Fresh Yankee. And he was winning. So they put him down in the in the U.S. and he went to Roosevelt and Yonkers and he became the horse of the year. And he obviously deserved it. He won all those races. But he never threw anything because there was no strength in his pedigree. Yep. Now he was bred to because he was the horse of the year but he had no strength in the family tree. Yep. So he never threw anything. I think what you see in the, you know, in the dog world normally, okay, in the in the money game, all age or, or shooting dog stake, you're looking at a family tree that's yep. a who's who of dogs. Yep. So it's not like a backyard breeding. It can't be. It, that everything about our top dogs is, is, is always intentional. Um, you know, and, and, and it's so funny you say that. You, it, it, I'm going down this rabbit hole again, George. So just if you don't mind hanging there with me. Um, it, it's so funny. You know, I just wrote an article on, you know, our field trials should field trial or can field trials be saved, you know, and, and, and it'll be published pretty soon. But first of all, my answer was they don't need to be saved. But because it, mm-hmm. it, and, and the reason being is even your typical gun dog to me is a is is like a diluted version of our absolute best dogs you see what i'm saying so at some point in time there's a pup that maybe way 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 down the line however many years it is is going to be like a a a bolt descendant but 
whoever it was, they they didn't necessarily keep breeding it to the best of the best of the best of the best. But we know that there's an inkling of that genetics that's kind of lingering around there and it made for a good dog. Sure. Well, that's what we have field trials for, you know, to, right. to, to put into place the standard. You see what I'm saying? To me, it's the same yep. as, as, as an SAT. An SAT doesn't necessarily tell you how smart you are, but it gives us a baseline of kind of where we're at. You know, it it, it, it it lets us know, OK, this is kind of where we want to be. And the guys that are acing the SAT to making perfect scores. Well, those are supposed to be the best of the best of the best of the best of the most intelligent. However, however you want to classify it. Well, it's the same with dogs. Well, when you start looking at the breedings and you know, going back and it's, I think it's true with all animals, whether it's cattle or, you know, Purdue chickens. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you want the soup to taste the same, you got to put the same amount of salt and pepper in it. There you go. And that's what's happened in breeding programs, whether it's horse racing. You look at how many horse racings that um, you look at in, in the top courses, that when you look at their pedigree, there's a crossover. There's some common genetics on both sides of the pedigree, right? Yep. So I think a lot of people perceive that it gives you, you know, big ears and freckles. You know, smart breeders, you know, know what they're looking for, and they're trying to maximize the strengths and minimize the flaws, mm-hmm. right? And if you're just outbreeding all the time, you don't know what you're getting. Yep. Um, and and there there's there's that whole line breeding thing, that big debate that everybody doesn't like to have, and everybody grits their teeth about, but. Right. We know it works. <laughs> That's right. We know That's right. it works. Well, statistically, it does. Yep. <laughs> Enjoy your time with the dog. So when I'm looking at, at pedigrees, 
and thinking about future puppies, I'm thinking about is that dog going to train well and is the owner going to be happy with him? Mm-hmm. You know, so if he's got to go out and spend five days a week for five years to get the dog to handle for him, it's the wrong dog. Yep. Yeah, it is. Um, <laughs> all right. All right, I'm going to brag one more time, George, and then I'm done. I'm listening. I'm, I'm and done. you don't have to qualify by saying one more time now. <laughs> <laughs> and feel, feel free to brag on yourself, too, now. But I'm, I'm going to say that just because I – and I'm I, I'm honestly using it to support what you're saying, but my little dog, Vegas, now um, is a cool little dog, L. Hugh bred. I, I love me some L. Hughes and stuff like that. But – um. Mm-hmm. I took him out. He hadn't been on birds on any kind of birds in the last two months. Um, just, just kind of getting over the whole Georgia summer. And I'm not about to run a dog in the heat down here, but I right. had an opportunity to run him on wild <laughs> birds the other day. Right. When I tell you, George put that dog in the ground and 30 seconds later was locked up on a on, 30 seconds. Couldn't have been any more locked up on a cubby proud of daddy, wild bird. It? Yeah. Like, I mean, proud daddy and locked up on a yep. cubby of wild birds. And what I, I don't even think my Garmin was on. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was on and sat there. I sent my lab in to flush the birds and the dog just stood there. I mean, stacked up nice. Obviously he turned about 45 degrees to mark the birds, but he didn't move. He stood broke. That those are the things that I think we're, we're, we're looking for is just the retention of that training. From a breeding standpoint, I believe one of the things that should be a priority is that we're breeding a dog that the non-pro person can train and go have fun with. There you go. If everything is going to be, you got to be a pro working five days a week and do this, then that dog is not going to, you know, make the individual who hunts the preserve or takes two trips to, it's not going to make them happy. Yeah. You know, so I think we want to breed a dog that has natural ability, in the case of pointing dog to point, uh, you know, if you had a lab and it doesn't retrieve, then we got a problem. Wouldn't that bother you? Yeah, we got a problem. Okay. If I was looking at a young dog for special forces that came out of Germany, Belgium, whatever, and the dog doesn't want to put something in its mouth, it, we're probably going to have a problem with the dog developing into bringing people back home alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, if a beagle didn't chase rabbits, eh, we'd have to put a big question mark about it, didn't we? Exactly. <laughs> It it should yeah. do its job. It should now. Yeah. Now now let me get back to Bolt though. What was mm-hmm. it though when you when you when you had that pup that dog as a puppy? When did the light bulb click on for you to be like, okay, this dog has it? Well, actually, Bolt Bolt sort of it didn't come out. He wasn't born with me. Okay. Okay. Um, he was born with Brad Sadler, who's in a Chelsea Plantation, uh, worked there. Okay, and, and he runs a hunting operation. Mm-hmm. And the dog wasn't an athlete when he was 10 months of age. Uh, he was finding birds. And, you know, he's just a puppy. I mean, he wasn't going on a working hunt. And then somewhere around 14 months of age, the dog said, hey, I'm an athlete. Let me show you what I am. Okay. So Brad looked at the dog at that point and said, hey, this dog doesn't belong in the plantation. And then a, another top trainer by the name of Steve Hurdle had him for a while. Yep. Okay. And then came available for that. So I don't know. The dog was probably just about two years of age. He hadn't run any stakes at that point. When I was looking at him, I said, you know, okay, you play Russian roulette. This dog looks like he's something. I didn't know he would end up having the credentials that he has. But I certainly knew 
that he was a pretty talented dog. Right. right? So, you know, so I bought him, not raised him as a puppy. I bought him by looking at him and said, okay, that looks like a nice dog. Now what Bolt did is he said, build your kennel around me. You know, wow. I mean, that's a big statement, you know, so, you know, there was some luck with it, but I'd like to say there was some intelligent luck. Okay. 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 I like that. Um, that's a big statement, man. I mean, I've, I've, every time I picked up an American field and this is so crazy to say that I, I at, at six months ago, I was picking up an American field, first of all, but, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would see him in there, man. And, 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 you know, the writers, the, the reporters were writing on him. And, and it, I mean, it was, it would, it would, I would read fireworks on the dog, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, he just seemed spectacular. Um, and he, and, and I think another thing that I like about Bolt, just from what I've read and, and just looking at his track record, he keeps getting better. He ain't maxing out. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, and, and he's held together in the seasons. I mean, you look at the wins he's had at the end of the season, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's the Invitational or, you know, Michigan. You know, a lot of dogs blow up because they've been running a lot. You know, Bolt doesn't. He just keeps getting a little bit better. Yeah. Um, and I don't say that with prejudice because I own him. And I. Can you hear me? The. Uh, he just, you know, bolt throws puppies, and he does it, but he's got a pedigree that says there's a realistic chance that he could. Yeah. You know, so the strength of his pedigree is big. Okay. Um, you know, so Ransom's a half-brother. He's in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Will Wildigan's in the Hall of Fame. You know, so there's a reason when you look at that. Um, as Sean once said, hey, you know, why wouldn't everybody in the world just say, I want a bolt puppy? Um, because that's what he is. He's yeah. different. Yeah. I like that. I, I definitely like that. Now let's let's talk about working with Sean Kinkler. I met him one time, and he he probably didn't even okay. remember it, but I met him one time um, uh-huh. last year. Talk about working with Sean Kinkler and, the, and and his influence on the field trial world. I mean, that dude is a handler for you know he's a handler for days, man. Uh, I mean, he, I don't know how many handler of the year he's won nine or ten. Um, you know, he's had Dog of the Year. He had Elias Swami, three times Dog of the Year. Bolt, three times Dog of the Year. Um, you know, he's had a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Sean is, is he has an unbelievable talent of getting a dog to run that pocket. And that's what he works on when he's training. But that dog is going to be in a 10 to 2 pocket in front of him. I don't mean 50 yards now, but 10 to 2. Right. And the dog goes with him, and he's going to have good bird banners. And he's got a good program. And he's not uh, a believer, frankly, in taking derby dogs and just go run derby dogs out in the prairies and getting them run to the furthest hill because he doesn't think by the time those dogs get down to Georgia, Alabama, that you're going to be able to place them. They're going to run out of the country, and they're not going to end up being shitting dogs. So I think his program is good. He's got people who are roading the dogs. They're they're in condition. Um, You know, he's got good genetics, uh, and he's just a superb handler. Yeah. Um, we train with him. He's focused. He's competitive. Um, if you're thin-skinned, you might not want to be with him that day. Okay? okay. Um, it's about winning. Yeah. You know, it's about winning. Okay. You know? Okay. So uh, whether somebody's a wrestling coach or you're a teacher, I mean, you're, you're trying to be the best. Uh, and, and Sean's focused on that. Now, how long have you guys worked together? Oh, 
10 years maybe. Okay. 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 I, uh, it's funny. I met him and I talked to him before and I was going up. My summer place was in Montana years ago and I was driving from wherever. I don't remember. Okay. And you know, trailer horses and dogs and I can't keep my eyes open. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where Sean lived, but I knew he's in North Dakota and I was outside of Fargo and I had another 12 hours to get to Montana and I just, I couldn't make it. And what are you going to do with horses and dogs and everything? Mm-hmm. So I called him and I said, man, I got to crash. I got to, I, I got to go sleep. And so he gave me directions to his place and I got there and crashed and he put my horses up and dogs up and I get up the next morning and he said, you know, let's go take a drive. So we took a drive, and I'm seeing birds all over the place. I mean, back then we had a lot of birds. We had a drought a couple of years ago, and bird numbers went down. Okay. Back then what, you, you remember what year we talking about? It's okay if 12, you don't. I'm just 11, 10. Okay. In there. Okay. Um, so we're driving down, you know, because I'm not in a big rush to get in the car and drive another 12 hours. And somebody's feeding my dog and taking care of it. It's like a busman holiday. <laughs> and so I'm seeing a lot of birds. as well. Wow, that's pretty good. And I like the cover. And where I was in Montana was about the snakiest place I'd ever been in my life. Um, and I said, what about the snakes? And he said, I've been here 17 years. I've never had a dog bit. And I said, you're kidding me. The, uh, and so I said, well, I know somebody over here that leased to some trainers before. And they didn't get along well with them, and I don't know if they'd be interested, but they have a mobile home, and, you know, they have property. So we'll drop by and see them. So we did, and I met the, you know, the guy on the property, and, you know, about 6,000 acres. And uh, looked at the property and said, you know, man, I like this better than Montana. Um, <laughs> and I like the fact that there, Sean had never had a dog bit either. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I had. Seven bit in Montana. Yeah, um, and so introduced myself to the guy and said, "Yeah, I'd be interested to talk to you about leasing it." He said, "No, I don't think so." Well, he had had some problems with the people who were here before, mm-hmm. and I said, "Well, I'd be really interested." And you know, did want to give me a price? Look at it, and you know, you can do some checkup on me or credit check, and I'll pay you for the summer front. And so he called me that night and said, "We'll do it," and they just. You know, Tom and Becky Haig are just delightful landlords. They become friends. They're, you know, couldn't be happier with the relationship that got developed. And that relationship with the landowners is really important, okay, because, you know, it's a farming community. It might be prairies. But if if you don't fit in and you don't respect their rights as a landowner, it's a privilege to be able to run on their land. Yeah, absolutely. So if you abuse it, you're not going to be welcomed. Absolutely. Yeah. And this area here has just been, it's been great. I mean, the, you know, the people are friendly, you know, they, you know, they, you don't see out of state cars driving down the road to go hunting because there's not a lot of public land and the private farms are, they haven't leased it out for hunting rights to the same degree as maybe a lot of places in South Dakota have. Yeah. Right. So, um, it's just, it's just been a great place to be. Okay. Okay. I uh I I gotta get up there, man. Um, that's right, like it's great. You got You got right, it's, it's it's beautiful. Sunrise is beautiful. Sunset's beautiful. And even in a bad year, I mean, there's birds. Some years there's just I mean, four or five, six years ago, we had so many birds. You could finish a dog in a week. 
you know, get now a lot of, of us, what we're doing is we're getting our dogs patterning, getting them to birds, and we're, we're finishing out a lot of stuff when we get back to Georgia because we don't have the same amount of birds. Now, mm-hmm. somebody who wants to go hunting, there's a lot of birds. But right. if you're running 16 dogs and you want a bunch of contacts for each dog, you know, that's harder to do today than it was four years ago. Right. I, um, I, I'm, I'm, I think that's going to be the next stage of my development. Um, and I've been talking to my wife about it. She's on board. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of, I got to stop having kids. <laughs> like that's, that's my well, biggest thing. In the city, people. You're not out in the prairies because of the fine restaurants and the, and the dancing ladies. I mean, you're out here to go to work. Yeah. You know, you get up early and there you get prairies and you can run dogs. You're not worried about getting hit by a, a car coming down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's really a trainer's mecca. Now, when you you start going out there, about what June, May, June? I normally in past years I've been coming out in May. Okay. Okay. This year we got here a little bit later because of COVID, uh-huh. um, and because of some of the protests and stuff. I just didn't want to have to drop a horse trailer and camp in Memphis and you know yeah. St. Louis and so forth. Okay. Um, so we waited a little bit, okay, to know that we could just get through without any hassles. Mm-hmm. Um, but normally May, now we can't run on wild birds until July 15th. Okay. So you can't run a dog off lead. Okay. Until July 15th, okay. but you can road, you can do yard work and you don't have the damn, no Sims and you don't have the heat and humidity Man, that we have back in Georgia. I, 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 that's enough work as it is. Um, just <laughs> that is, that is a month's worth of work anyway, you know? So, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. that's it. Now, yeah. It's okay. So uh, uh, now I'm I'm in in deference a bit, and I'm 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 young buck, you know, talking to you know a legend. I I, I want to know. <laughs> I'm lifting though. up my feet, even though we're a couple <laughs> thousand miles away right now. <laughs> well, look, I'm I'm just saying, man. I'm talking to the George Hickox. So I want you to tell me about myself, George. Um. What are, what are us young folks missing, man? Like what 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 don't we get about this bird dog thing? Well, I won't put you in the. I'm not doing a placebo. I wouldn't put you in that same league because you've been around. You've seen people. You've seen dogs, uh, and you know something about it. I think the biggest thing, and, and you know, I take it from clinics because I do. You know, bird dog clinics across mm-hmm. the country. And, and we you talked about you know we mentioned mentors before. The average person doesn't have one. Yep. So their mentor comes from the chat room, but that person doesn't have credentials. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so much misinformation, um, and there's so much if the dog bonds with you, he's going to please you, and, well, it doesn't work that way. The dog wants to please himself. He's a bird dog. He wants to find a bird. He wants to take it out. He wants to destroy nests. That's what he is. So uh, other than what he is, he's a phenomenal animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not you don't come home and he says, Hey, my food's pretty good. Which you don't care. He cares whether he feels okay. Yeah. So I think there's so much Disney type of stuff that gets around him. That's what handicaps the person from being able to have a dog that's in control. If the dog if the dog's not in control when they take him hunting, I don't care if they're hunting the preserve or they're hunting public land or they've got a private quail plantation they're invited to. 
of the dogs out of control and just taking birds out and chasing them to the next cubby and busting those, you know, it's not a fun day. Yeah. And I, that's something that I hope at, at, at 30 years old and, 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 and four and a half going on five years in the game, you know, I hope that that's something that I can advocate for and, and honestly spread the good gospel to us younger bird dog men, right? Like at, at some point hey, in time, go ahead. Yeah. The reality is if you have any sort of genetics and I don't mean bold genetics now, I mean just genetics. Yeah. Okay. That the dog is going to be a bird dog. He's going to be a, you know, hunting dog, find some birds for you. Mm-hmm. Right. It is not difficult. The fiction is difficult. Okay. So, so many, it starts, there's a fellow by the name of Jim Van Egan, be a good guy for you to talk to sometime. He's in labs. Okay. And I spell, don't know how spell, many Spell that name for me. V-A-N-E-G-E-N. Uh-huh. Okay. Jim Van Egan. All right. And he's down in Georgia during the wintertime. He's, I think he's around the Boston area. Okay. Um, and he's in Wisconsin during the summer. And. A lot of the dogs that Mike Lardy ran, who's Hall of Fame. You know, we know Mike Lardy. Came out of Tim's program. Okay. Tim's kennel is called Right Start Kennels. And if I'm saying this right, I think he takes dogs as young as eight weeks of age and does not take dogs over eight months of age. And now these dogs are all being geared to go to compete at the top level. All right. Doesn't mean he doesn't have gun dogs, but it's because they didn't make it to the top level. So the. And he said to me one time that 90% of the dogs that he gets at six months of age do not make it on the field trial circuit, not because of genetics, but because of what the owner did or didn't in the team. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's not here, even... Here, 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 and there's no accountability. And I don't mean being tough on a dog and beating him up and carrying a whiffle ball bat around there. Okay. But given commands with no understanding from the dog's standpoint, okay, what's what's expected of him, well, then it's pie in the sky. we got a dog in for training right now that the dog has been corrected. Uh, it's a talented dog, mm-hmm. um, but he's been corrected. He's afraid of Chicken Little being up there throwing a hammer at him, and he doesn't know when the hammer's coming or why. Because he's been corrected where he didn't understand why he was corrected. So he never had the ability to avoid it. Well, of course, that makes him a little tentative. You know, when am I going to get, when's something bad going to happen on me? You know, I'm an e-collar trainer, whether I'm working special forces, bird dogs. That doesn't mean you go amortize it and you use it. You don't train, in my opinion, you don't train a new behavior with correction. Mm -hmm. You train excellence with a correction. There you go. And that's a world difference. So if somebody just beats up on their dog, however they're doing it, okay, and the dog doesn't understand why, it's not going to get them any place good. Okay, I'm stealing that from you. And Training excellence like with correction. There, okay. No, I. You know what is so funny? Um, that's a lesson that I've had to learn. And my job only had one pointer. All right, I, I, I'm not. I'm not about to boost myself. But that is something that I have found in my own dog some you know when when mm-hmm. we're when we're working on something first of all shut up stop talking you know there you go <laughs> i tell people say what tool should i have in my training shed 
roll of duct tape. There you go. Put it over your mouth and stop talking. <laughs> there you go. I mean, because, and they've got to figure it out. But then, you know, once you, and, and you said this about moose again, once you show it to them, let them learn it. You know, let them learn what it is that you want to do. And then. I've heard lots of people, you know, who are passionate about it. So you see people passionate about it and talk to people passionate about it. Yeah. So you've, you've seen a lot of dogs, mm-hmm. okay, that somebody expected that the dog was going to do it right. Mm-hmm. And when he didn't do it right, didn't do it right, he got corrected. Okay. Um, he didn't have a solution. So I don't think it's going to have to be pressures and corrections. Okay. Somebody, they, give you, excuse me, they give you the finger. You're not entitled to do that. Yeah. But you got to understand what the rules are. Uh, there's a speed limit in doing 60. Hey, George, you break. You, you, oh, hang on. One, one. drives away. Say, hang, hang on one one second, one second, George. Say that last part. You just broke up in the last fifteen seconds. Say that again. Let's let's say there's a speed limit of thirty five miles an hour, mm-hmm. and somebody's doing sixty. Blue lights come on. They pull over. The police officer comes up, says no, and gets in their car and drives away. That person's not going to stop speeding because there was no consequence that was meaningful. You know, but on the same basis. If it was never assigned, well, they didn't have a, an opportunity to do it right in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so when it comes to a correction, I'm not saying the whole world is about corrections, I, you know, and I'm not being politically correct when I say that. Yeah. You know, it's not about corrections. But the dog, it's not a democracy. Right. You know, it's not. Right? So, in my opinion. Right. So... If you make the correction that he understands what the correction was for and he understands how to avoid the correction in the future, by golly, he'll do what's right for him. Exactly. You know, and once he says, this is right for me, now, now you got to talk. Yep. Because he's doing it for all the right reasons, isn't he? Yep, absolutely. And and that's what you want. Like when we talk about, and you said this earlier, a biddable dog, right? It, that, I feel like that biddable word is is... I think we know what it means, but I don't think we really know what it means. I don't think it's it's ever been really elaborated yeah. on. Yeah. And what you yeah. said just defined that. Yeah, I, I think, look, I'm real big on clicker. Okay. A mm-hmm. lot of people aren't. Okay. Real quick, clicker works. I'm going to just say that I did it with my lab. It works and it works like a charm, but go Absolutely. ahead. Absolutely. And, and I mean, and even you can take it further. When we, when I go to, I get called into special forces thing. Doug came unglued when he was deployed overseas, let's say. Mm-hmm. So he's going to bite the wrong person or he gun aggresses and whoever shot, he bites him. And that could have been our guy, you know? So I go in and, you know, and the dog, maybe he's got the handler and the handler's arm looks like baseball things. I start with clicker. That's yeah. where I start. Yeah. Okay. Um, what I do for a dog is this behavior gets you good and this behavior gets you bad. If we can teach them what behaviors work for him and which behaviors don't work for him, then we're not sitting there giving him commands all day long and making all kinds of noise and yelling and screaming. 
Right. Because if he says this works for me, it's what I'm doing. And I and I would suspect when you started doing clicker. I would bet when you first started doing clicker, you went in no time at all. You went, wow! First year, nothing's happened. Dog doesn't stay on point. But for a short period of time, whether it's blowing into a kennel or standing on a board or rolling over and playing dead, okay, you go, wow! I could never get there that quickly by forcing him and using compulsion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it, it's yeah. just incentivizing the, the, it's incentivizing the goal. Yeah. I mean, we got tried and true puppy here right now and a bolt puppy, young pups, what, in 13 weeks old. Debbie's been quicker training them. It's going to pay huge benefits to the whole, they've already been introduced to the gun now. They run up a four-wheeler. They ran with a horse today. Their whole life, they say, everything's great. Everything's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Now, what do we got to do? Because they believe life is a bowl of cherries. And I think that's what Clicker does. Yep. That doesn't I, mean there's not going to be a correction later. But I, our first foundation, I strongly believe, if the first foundation is Clicker, then you'll use less pressure later. Right. Um, I I like that. Now, I didn't, um, and, I, and I would actually, after this statement, I really want you to break down your training program because I want to... Not out even outside of just supporting you. Um, I want to purchase all the volumes of your DVDs because you have it available on your website. You. I'll well, send those to you with the with the agreement that you look at them and you call me back. You say, "I looked at that portion, and that's a bunch of hogwash." Okay, okay. look at it. You know, I'll send them to you. you okay, let's, just you know, shoot me a text with your address, and I'll you know send them and look at them all. Let me make okay. you an even better deal. Let's let me make you an even better deal. You send that to me, and first of all, thank you. First and foremost, thank you. Um, but second of all, I got a setter pup coming in the spring from um, my buddy Paul Cook. Why don't we just use a Hickox okay. method on that dog? Okay, that'd be great. It, let's just do it like that. Let's put the, the the proof in the pudding. You know, I'm I'm on, I'm on board. I'm a player. <laughs> So thank you, first of all, um, and I and I definitely want to support you because I'm I'm vibing off of this conversation. But and of course I won't I won't put on the website or anything else. <laughs> if you've left the pointer world and now you're joining now you're joining the uh, you know the long so the shaggy here. Now look, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now I am I am adamantly vehemently biased <laughs> to pointers. The only other dog that I feel like is even worth the conversation is a setter. Now you get to talking to me about some short hairs. <laughs> you lost me. There's some really good short hairs. I mean, really good ones. Okay. Um, there are. I, and I, to my short hair people, yes, there are some very well, good short I hairs. I mean, all, you know, tongue and cheeking, but a certain amount of truth to it. Yeah. The pointer starts pointing in the womb. Yeah. Let's start there. Okay. <laughs> you know, so when somebody says, Oh, I got a dog, he's a year of age, I think he's starting to point now, he's going to be a good one. Something's wrong. Yeah. You know, yeah. Why, I mean, why wasn't he pointing? Yeah. You know, it's called a pointer. <laughs> That's what it is. It's like, it's, a, it's like a lab that don't retrieve. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Agree. So you know, I, uh, I, I, I give my, my, my friends and buddies, and I got a lot of buddies that got short hairs, and they got some good short hairs too. Um, <laughs> But I give him a hard time. But if I'm gonna put my money on a dog, it's gonna be on a short. It's gonna be on a pointer. Short hairs, and I'm not saying wrong. But the ticket, it's like it does retrieve. Mm-hmm. Point. 
Say that. Say that last part one more time. You just broke up. Say that again. Okay. I'm going to say, does he retrieve? Yeah. Does he point? That should be the question. The first question is Why why is that a thing though? Like I have seen, and again, this is a generational thing. Why have I it's like when I see guys, um, and I've talked to some buddies of mine and they know who they are listening to this podcast. When I I I get guys and and they're friends of mine and they're like, Oh man, my dog retrieves, and there's this little bitty puppy. And I'm like, Well, does the dog point? Does he point? What are we doing? Well, yeah, retrieving, you create a lot of enemies now on your podcast. I know. (laughs) But in my retrieving with the dog before you have him hold in point and you're going to make him stay to wing and shot is counterproductive to get him to hold point and be stay to wing and shot. He gets a million dollar paycheck when he retrieves, doesn't he? Yep. Like robbing the bank. I got a bird in my mouth. So he gets a million dollar paycheck when he leaves, and then they beat up on him when he's. So in our case, if we're training a dog for somebody, we're going to get him holding points straight away and shot before we do our retrieving. Because yeah. if he had a, if he had a bunch of, that was one of the problems with Moose. They, you know, Josh says he had a thousand birds got him. You know, wow. Oh, well, of course he thought he was going to leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he did leave, and when he left, he got a million dollar paycheck. So if you think that that paycheck was worth a million dollars, if you just use a correction that's only worth one dollar, it's not going to matter, is it? Is it? Right. So that then means you have to put more pressure on the dog, not less. And there's no dog that's going to do it. Your program is designed to put more pressure on him, but less pressure in landing. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely spot on. Um. And that's been a real big thing in mine. I mean, and 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 there's some bias to me. I'm not the type of dude that want to go out and kill a whole bunch of birds anyway. I like to see a dog point. So yeah, there you go. You know, I'm I'm immediately. Uh, you know, my lab does the retrieving. My pointer, I will I will let him retrieve one bird at the end of every every other hunt. Okay, mm-hmm. it it ain't even every hunt. It's it's maybe every other hunt well, or every third. Random, so he's not anticipating. He's not associating that bird goes up, bang goes off, and I run. Exactly. He's associating that he's probably not going to. There you go. Okay. Right. So if you've got a flushing dog that walks at heel, mm-hmm. and you've got a pointing dog that's out there that stay to wing, stay to shot, holds point, reliably holds point. Dog goes on point. You send your flushing dog in to flush. Your flushing stands on the flush. Your pointing dog stays there. The guns go off. Okay, then you send your flushing dog for the retrieve. Your pointing dog is going to stay steady. You got the bird in the bag. You never walked in front of your, in my case, client's guns. Okay, I don't want to be shot. I don't want my lab shot, but if I got a pick, I don't want to be shot. Mm-hmm. All right? So I think it's safer. Um You've got your guys not doing the flushing. You've got them out to the side so they're not shooting over a dog's ear. There's just no downside to that. And I don't care if you're hunting ptarmigan in Alaska or maybe not woodcock might be a little tougher, right, than the thick thick tougher. Right. But whether you're hunting quail or you're hunting pheasants or sharp tails or ptarmigan or whatever, that's a deadly combination. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I think so. I mean, plus it's a class act show. Yeah, you're gonna you're you're not gonna get anything but really, really, really solid, nice, nice points. And those birds aren't gonna they're not gonna be forgiving for the dog either. That's right. You know, that's right. They're they're not no. gonna be forgiving. Um, it's, it's you've so, got you know down in Georgia. I mean, you know, you've been on other plantations, so they mm-hmm. might have a whether it's a Blake and a Cocker, you know, whatever lab. Okay, on the wagon that does the retrieving. Yep. But they're not using it to flush and mating steady to the flush. Mm-mm. So that fully trained flushing dog drives in like a heat-seeking torpedo, puts the bird to the air, and then his butt hits the ground. He stays there until he's told to retrieve. Yep. That's just, I mean, that's a show and a half, and it's a very effective way of putting birds in the back. Well, and and that's what I meant earlier when I was saying there's this weird kind of polish about us Georgia folks, you know, yep. down here. It, it's just that I think you, I think that's what it is. Um, our the way that we operate is different. And it's kind of, you know, mysticized down here. You know, we, we have this kind of mythology about Georgia and, and Alabama and us southern guys, you know, hunting, <laughs> you know, bird. We, it, I don't know. It's, yep. it's, it's kind of a mythology, but it. Even still, I mean, it just, I can even say South Carolina because I got buddies in South Carolina, you know, um, Mo Lindley and all of those guys, you know, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my, my home, my homegirl, Lauren, like the way that we handle dogs is just different. We just care about the point. I agree. You know, um, agree. and, and that's just what it is. When I look at like Hotchwalt books and things like that, um, he's a Northeastern dude. Um, you know, he, the the way that he broke down the differences because he was a longtime field trial writer reporter, um, the way that he broke mm-hmm. down the way that dogs operated even back in the day, it just they were just different, you know. Um, well, you know that's interesting. You take parts of the country, okay, whether it's today, we might have not as many birds in some places as we used to have before, but let's take our bird rich places mm-hmm. down in Georgia. Okay, because of the plantation thing. They were hunting wild birds. Right. right? In the Midwest, okay, you had a bunch of wild birds, whether that was Iowa, North Dakota, you know, there were pheasants, right? And so guys could shoot them by walking through the cornfield and shooting birds at flushed, right? What Georgia did, so both places had wild birds, and both of them had good numbers, didn't they? Right. Georgia didn't have the guy driving down the road in the pickup truck shooting birds on the road. They became dog-oriented and created a culture and a, a magic, a mystery, okay, about the pointing dog, mm-hmm. right? So it wasn't, everybody wanted to shoot birds. They wanted to go bang, okay? But the dog became the hero. Yep. Whereas in the West, the picture might not have the dog in it, but had the guy sitting in the tailgate with all the pheasants lined up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is, man. Um, and it's so funny. Okay, so that is directly applicable to our social media culture now. With the, the dog yeah. is again, and that's what I want to do with my podcast. That's what I want to do with my Instagram. Yeah, that's like what I want to do. I mean, and, and I think that that history rich type of thing that you're talking about there. The person talked about the dog. When you look at it, when you went into Wayne's, you know, into Waynesboro. Okay, and you went to the Bird Dog Cafe. Yep, absolutely. And you go in there, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it's just a 
bunch of tables that you, you know, you get your lima beans, okay, from this, you know. Yep. And you look at all the pictures of all the great dogs and the handlers, mm-hmm. okay, not just Smith Setters because they're there, not just the, you know, Harold Ray and, right. I mean, those dogs, the history. Mm-hmm. I don't know any other place that has the history, okay, of bird dogs that, that the South has. I don't, I don't know, and I've been to Waynesboro, Harold Ray is like, Friggin' Zeus out there, you know. <laughs> I mean, and he is, and rightfully so. You know, I, I've right. I've had the pleasure of sitting, you know, with Bud Moore, Hare Ray, and and Farrell Miller all in the same podcast. It blew my mind. But when you talk that's to Harold Ray, pretty heavy duty company, man. When I tell you, I'm that, that that's a that is a conversation for an off the record kind of you know conversation between <laughs> the two. Man, them some dog men. All Absolutely. three of them, and but but Absolutely. when we talk about Harold Ray and, and and admittedly, I was supposed to go out to his um to his place before all this COVID happened, and I just never got a chance to. But I'm going to Waynesboro, man. I mean, I look at the old American fields. I've got an American field. The oldest that I have is from 1884, and and, and I've got it up till about now. And when I read about Waynesboro. Dude, that was Mount Olympus, a uh, Mount Olympus for bird dogs. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, it, you pull in there, and you got the, you know, the setter on the water tower. Mm-hmm. Okay, you got the bird dog cafe. You got a flag in the street corner with, yeah. with bird dogs on it. I mean, that's a statement. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it tells Union you what Springs, we're about. Alabama. That's another place that has a whole bunch of cool, you know, history about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or Sedgefield Plantation, and uh, you know, and the Hand Man. I mean, you know, there's just so many. And Billy, you, you know Billy you, Morton. I mean, it's just so many people that came out of so, that area. So let me let me do this, and I actually want to get into your um your training, the actual Hickox method. But I do want to say this. So I've had the pleasure of talking to Billy Morton, and I have an un, I've had an unpublished. I've got it right now in my possession. I've got an unpublished episode of interviews with Billy Morton right now and he got really sick like a week ago and I had been talking to him and getting his story because his story needs to be told like the Hoyle Leeton story was told but Billy Morton hadn't wrote a, written a book so I was trying to record him telling his story and he got sick so I need to call him back like maybe tomorrow but well, he, I mean, he's a wealth of information and a heck of a dog handler man when I tell you, he I mean, sent me, he is a dog man. Best, best I've, I've ever spoke to. I mean, when I tell you just, I, I'm all about deference and respect. And that's the furthest back that I've ever had a chance to talk to. He sent me okay, photos I mean, he's, that. He's, he's the real deal. Man, he's I, a gentleman. He, he is a gentleman. And one thing that got me about Billy Morton is he was the one, him and Billy Wayne, his son, um, Yep. They made it a point to put a headstone on Man Rand's grave, which if we want to talk about this racial discrimination and all of this stuff and the racial politics of America, those are two gentlemen that they they did that because they didn't give a damn about black, white, blue, green or brown. No, they were they they were in the bird dog world and the people in the bird dog world deserved it. Deserved it. Absolutely. It's all about that. Man Rand. Man ran our one of our I would say the greatest scout that we have ever had in the bird dog world. That man would have went to the grave with an unknown, unmarked grave until Billy Wayne came in and said, hell no, we're going to put a gravestone on his. Wow. Is that neat or what? Yeah. 
that was cool. Bill, that was Billy really, Wayne. That's cool. Yeah, and that's cool. That you know, and I've got him on the record saying that and talking about that story. But anywho, like. Wow. When we talk about like people want to talk about this whole division, and I ain't gonna get too far in the rabbit hole, but people want to talk about this whole division thing and everything like that. But the best thing about the bird dog world is that we are all a united front. Why? Because the dogs are the hero and the people are not. The dogs are the heroes. That's what yep. you get from the That's south. Well you That's know. a good title of a book, actually. <laughs> Dogs a hero. Okay? Well, I'm, okay, I'm going to take that then. I'm going to take that because that's what it means. And, you know, coming down here in the South, and you know this, man, like, that's the thing that we have, especially when you walk on to Sedgefields, you know, and you see all the free-for-all champions. You know, we, I mean, we got the Continental, but Tommy Rice told me the free-for-all is where you want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, he sat there. I was riding on the horse. Tommy Rice is tearing it up right now. He won Montana and he won the All-American here. Tommy's doing a really, really good job. I when Tommy Rice is, he has been a wealth of information for me. And for me to just go and scoop dog poop for him before his braces, whenever I could, that meant the world to me. Yeah, I like Tommy. Tommy's a good dude. But anywho, I, you know, I I don't want to go down too far because I, I can get I can get wrapped up in the whole history thing. But I, I think what you're saying is directly applicable to what we have going on now. But look, let's 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 talk about you. We, this is your podcast now. Let's break down the Hickox <laughs> method, man. Like what? Break it down from start to finish. Where, where should we start with puppies and, and how are we making them finish dogs? OK. All right. We'll try to. Walk it down a sink <laughs> well. Okay. Pup comes in. Okay. Born there, whatever. Okay. Bought it, bred it. Really makes no difference to me. Okay. Yeah. See, so if I'm buying one on the outside, I mean, I just bought a tried and true pup. Okay. Um, I think tried and true is a real deal. Tried and true um, is a real deal. Yeah. You know, the, uh, and, and maybe a little bit of networking. So they put me in a good position to get the pup in the breeding line. Mm-hmm. All right. So pup comes in. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to start with clicker stuff. All right, so we're going to, first thing we get it is running in the kennel. No voice, no compulsion, don't push him in, we're not talking to him. So pretty soon little dog's running across the living room floor, blowing in the back of that kennel saying, hey, give me my paycheck. All right, so now he's happy, he's running. We do some board work where when he's standing on it, once again, no compulsion, didn't make him do it, didn't put him on the board. He learns that when he stands there, he gets paid, so we're going to click him in pain. Yep. While that's going on, we started just taking him for walks. Eyesight wasn't real good when he's, you know, seven, eight weeks old, right? So we need a little bit of eyesight. So now, oh, we started running him on a quail pen. Okay, we released birds. The uh, And he got to see him fly out of there. And he went and chased him, and then he started pointing him. So we did that one time with that dog. The next time, we didn't let him see birds out, but we had birds out to guarantee that there was a reason for you to go out. So he found birds, going in the brush, pointing, went through a barbed wire fence, climbed over it to get to a bird because he smelled it. Said, okay, like that. No more pin race birds. We're done. Because he's imprinted on birds now. So now he's running off the four-wheeler. He's running off the horse. Okay, And right now, it'll just be going, we'll continue with more clicker stuff. Right, but it'll be just running. When he gets a little older, then we can start putting pattern in there. Okay, but not with an e collar, not yelling, screaming at him. 
just that's how we're going to run you. Okay, you know, so we can with a four wheeler. He starts looping back. We can push him up with a four wheeler. All right. Um, so now that he's running, when he's doing that, of course we're in wild bird country. He's going to come into some wild birds. Probably flash point him. Probably jump in, take him out, and chase him. Fine, great. Okay, he's been introduced to the gun when he was chasing birds already. So eleven weeks of age. Okay, and that's not a uh, time frame for me. Mm-hmm. The dog has to say when he's ready. This dog was just ready. Okay, sometimes it might be twenty weeks of age. Okay. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a problem with birds or you've got a problem with guns, you don't have a bird dog. So we're going to be paranoid about creating a bird problem or a gun problem. Mm-hmm. Right? So now I like everything jumping here becoming, and then come back to steps. The imprinting stage is through 20 weeks of age. Right? That's what every study from Cornell, Sheldon's, every book I've ever read said that's uh, the imprinting stage. What does imprinting mean? It means it takes fewer repetitions for it to be imprinted in the dog, good or bad. Mm-hmm. Right? I want birds and guns and running and horses and four wheelers and all the good stuff. Okay? So I like every tool that I'm going to use, whether that was a check cord, uh, a bird launcher, a bird, the gun, okay, the e collar. Those are all tools in my shed that I'm going to use for the development of the dog, right? I want him exposed to those during the imprinting stage by 20 weeks of age. So the e-collar, once that dog's going in the in the kennel and clicker, then we'll put our word in it as he's going in. We're not going to say kennel, and he doesn't know what it means. So as he's running in the kennel, because he's doing this reliably, he's running in to make me pay him. I'm the trained monkey. He runs in, he makes me do it. So I pay him. Once he's blowing in that kennel, he sees that kennel, he's running across the floor to go jump into it, right? Yeah. I'm going to say kennel as he's going to it. So I'm going to pair the command um, with the behavior. So like right now, Debbie's been doing those and the pup runs in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Say kennel as he's going in. He learns by association with a few repetitions. He knows what kennel means. Still have not gone to a correction, right? If at that point we said kennel and he didn't go in, we're just not going to pay him. Right. It's up to you. You don't want your dessert? Fine. Okay. We'll worry about corrections later. Now, once he's pretty reliable about blowing in that kennel, and when you say kennel, he goes in in order to get paid, then we're going to go to avoidance training. What I start with, and I can't give you an age, but I'd tell you, 14, 14 weeks of age, probably on the low side, 20 weeks of age on the high side. Yep. The, I'm going to go to, because he knows the command, right? No, absolutely knows what it means. Anytime he said, no, I don't think I'm going to do it, he just didn't get paid. So his only correction was he just didn't get a paycheck. Right. right? Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to vibration on a collar. I'm going to go pre-QQ. Pre means before. Q to go in was the word kennel. So if I said kennel, that was a cue to go in. So I'm going to put the pre-cue before the cue. I'm going to put vibration on, say kennel, vibration, kennel, vibration, kennel. In no time at all, when I put vibration on, what's he doing? He's running in the kennel, and he gets paid. Then I go to the e-collar, and I put low-level stimulation on, and the very first time you put low-level stimulation on, he runs in the kennel because he's already felt something in his neck, and then go in, I get paid. So the collar introduction was a non-event. Does that make sense? Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. Okay, so now that pups, so it's not like, oh, he got a bolt of lightning, didn't know why later. He learned, okay, I know how to turn it off. I believe it's a lot easier for a dog to learn to avoid something if he first knows how to turn it off. So now the dog is collar conditioned. We're going out. Okay, we're not going to do any bird manners at this point, but we're going to run him. He's going to get bird. Okay, the once he's really comfortable running out there, which hopefully if he's got genetics, does not take very long. The the only time he'd be getting stem at that point is to be chased a bird behind us. I don't want him behind me. I don't want him looking at my rear end, my horse's rear end, or the back of the four wheeler. I want him in front. All right. Yeah. So we just tickle him on low level stimulation, get in front, get in front. Okay, that's the only time he's doing it. So now when that dog, let's take him through, say, the first year thereabouts of his life, he's now running in 10 to 2 pocket. Okay, he's going to point, but he's not going to hold it. Right? And he's going to chase birds. Right? Then we're going to do some pigeon drills. We plant our pigeons. The bird that we plant is never the bird we're flushing. Um, So we've got a helper. And when he goes on point, they throw a bird. But the birds that he was pointing stay there. Yep. They didn't get flushed. So in a hop, skip, and a jump, and then we bring him back, reestablish his point, throw a second bird. In no time at all, the dog is standing there saying, you're going to throw a second bird, I know it. So he's standing there. we got a behavior. Okay, instead of beating up on him to get the behavior, we got a behavior. We haven't said, whoa, we haven't even taught him, whoa. He's already standing there. I'm talking about a check cord. Okay, he stands there without being jerked because he's waiting to see a second bird. Now we got a behavior. Now we really get something we can start working with. We got a dog that's running, patterns for us. Okay, and showing us bird manners and showing us point that he wants to do it. Now what we'll do is we'll start finishing him out on bird manners, but in no big rush. Okay, and if it's out in the prairies, we're going to be able to do that in wild birds because he starts going, just tickling a little bit, whoop, 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 setting back. Put him back there, walk out, I don't care if he threw your hat. Or Young birds are great because you get another flush, another flush, right? Okay? Or some birds in a bag, either way. Right. right? So when he's standing there, he gets rewarded. When he didn't stand there, he didn't get rewarded. And then it's putting it all together and just taking go hunting. And make sure you're running that 10 to 2 pocket, not going behind us. And that's the same thing for a gun dog. There's no difference in the program. Yeah. I mean... The only difference is the range, really. The manners is the same. And I, I was going to say the common, the I guess the the common denominator is the is is the range. I was just going to say that. Um, all we're doing right. is asking the dog to stretch his legs a little bit more, but we're we're doing the same thing. That's right. Okay. And when we're running off a horse, we're not yelling and screaming at him to do that. He's learning to go with that horse's head. Yeah. So you turn your horse to the left, the dog's breaking left. You turn to the right, he's breaking right. Mm-hmm. So now when you go to make him a walking dog, you're just doing the same thing. He's yeah. already learned to go with you. You were just sitting on the horse. When you go to the ground, I don't care if he was running at 600 yards. When you go to the ground, if he's learned to handle off you, off that horse, he's going to learn very quickly to handle off you just well, where you're standing and you're walking. Isn't that an eyesight thing? Yeah. Okay. But if he's, if he's in real heavy cover, Okay, we're not doing we're not doing any of that patterning work in heavy cover. Mm-hmm. That's what's tough in Georgia. You don't get your patterning done in Georgia. Well, in tiny woods, you're right. You're you get right. it done in the prairies. You're right. That's so, where you, I mean, whether it's Tommy Rice or Sean Kinkler or the Snake Jackson, whoever it is, you're getting your patterning work done in the prairies. 
because you can't get it done in Georgia. Yeah, it's not going to happen. I was it, it again. True confession. I was worried about my own dogs patterning. Um, and I mean, I would even say I'm a, a half a step behind, uh, maybe even a full step behind because I've never been out, you know, out where you guys are. So to teach my mm-hmm. dog patterning, I had to find an empty field, more or less, that was big enough That's to do right. it. If, if you're down in your area, then you're looking for somebody who's got a big cutting field. Yeah, you go. Because you can't get done in the tiny woods. You know, my, and the other thing, you can't really get your bird manners done in an early stage down there because you can't see the dog. There you go. And, and hey, okay, so now there were some good things and some bad things about that now. So the, the, the bad is, again, I don't really have a whole lot of control over the scenario. The good thing is I didn't have a whole lot of control over the scenario. So when I right. when, when I ran my dog on the birds down in, 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 in South Georgia, I knew that he would come eventually come up on a covey. But I didn't know how he would respond. And if he responded outside of my vision, I couldn't tell what the hell happened. Now, fortunately, he bumped a covey of about 15 birds. And next thing you know, he was he he got the picture. But the thing is that you're dealing with chance at that point. Whereas, do you know what variable reinforcement is? No, sir, I do not. Okay. I believe somebody asked me, what's the number one pitfall to somebody having their dog do what they wanted to do? I don't care if it's a house dog. It's a fly ball dog, it's an obedience dog, it's a bird dog, it's a Malamora for special forces. Mm-hmm. Variable reinforcement means you sometimes get corrected for the flaw, you know, the not a mistake, but flagrant disobedience. Sometimes you get corrected for it, and other times you don't. Okay? So, the analogy I'd use for variable reinforcement mm-hmm. would be the gambling addict. Goes to the table and loses and loses and loses, right? Mm-hmm. Why does he keep going back? Because he won once. Gotcha. Right? If he never won, he wouldn't keep going back, would he? You're right. If he didn't, eventually right. he'll quit. So but variable he- reinforcement. I'm not talking about variable reinforcement for rewards. You know, you do it right. You don't have to be rewarded every time. In the beginning, when you did your clicker, you're rewarded every time. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you don't have to reward every time. But if you use variable reinforcements for your corrections, you'll be correcting your dog for the rest of his life. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And I, I believe that to the bottom of my soul. When, yes. I, when I do this clinic in Bozeman starting Friday, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the four deadly curses. What do I believe? What I believe they are. It doesn't make me a, you know, all knowledgeable now. It's just what I believe. Okay. Variable reinforcement for corrections. Saying the command twice. Here, here. Whoa, whoa. Kennel. Because if you do that, there was no correction. Assuming the dog knows what the command means now, okay? Mm-hmm. So he knows what kennel means. And you say kennel, he says, no, I don't think so. And you say kennel again. There was no correction for the first giving you the finger, was there? Right. Variable reinforcement. Okay. Yeah. Free lunch. <laughs> you get paid for no reason at all. Now that happens to a lot of companion dogs in the house. I was, I was, okay. I was, I was just going to say that. So 
seems to me I'm not going to call it soft or being this or anything. It's just this is a pattern that I've seen coming from folks my age because the dogs are house dogs. Absolutely. And look, you can have a house dog that's a heck of a trained dog if you don't break the four curses. There you go. Because you had more opportunity for repetitions. Mm -hmm. So saying a command twice, the twice, twice, okay, to me is a bad deal because the dog says there's an option. Sometimes you get a ticket and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you rob the bank, you get caught, and sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you keep doing? You keep doing it. You got repeat felons. You keep on doing it. So variable reinforcement for corrections, not for rewards. And I'll talk about that with rewards if you, if you want in just a minute. No, go ahead. The, for corrections, I believe it's a cardinal sin to be guilty of variable reinforcement when a dog knows the command and you do not enforce it. If you use consistent repetitions to enforce it, you can throw your correction tool away because that now becomes a habit. Yeah. And you don't have to correct him anymore because that's what he does. But if you correct him occasionally or at random for that behavior, you're dead. You'll never get 100% reliability. Mm-hmm. So things that are learned through variable reinforcement, gambling that I use the analogy of, mm-hmm. things that are learned through variable reinforcement are really difficult, if not impossible, to extinguish. Right. 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 So I believe that. Whether I'm right or wrong, I believe it. No, I, I think you're... I'd, I'd absolutely think you're right. So, again, I'm going to take you back to my tenure and career as a teacher. All right? And I, te- I, taught, mm-hmm. in, I taught in Fulton County Schools. I don't teach there no more. But what you're saying mm-hmm. was directly applicable to the kids that I had oh, the most problems mammals. with. Mammals. Yeah. Mammals. Yeah. Absolutely. You, you know, it, it a, a kid didn't get, okay, so a kid goes, cuts up in class, threatens the teacher. Next thing you know, he's fighting a security guard. What happens? Okay, there's no there's no repercussions. He goes to ISS for, for, for a couple of hours, comes out, nothing happens. Okay, he gets hollered Bang. at a couple of times. All right, cool. He does it go. again. He gets OSS. Right. Well, in OSS, well, hell, he's at home now. He's chilling. He's having a good time. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, then so, it, I mean, and, and and three days later, he comes back. All right, you do it again. He gets ten days. Okay, ten days. He's been right. on vacation. Absolutely. And then you add to it. I, mean, I believe it's pertinent to people. But I'm a dog trainer. Yep. Okay. So the variable reinforcement for correction okay, is not good. Now we can complicate that variable reinforcement by sometimes rewarding bad behavior, which is what you're talking about here. Mm, that's deep. Bad behavior actually got rewarded. So let's take this lab that runs out, does not pick up the bumper, the bird, the tennis ball, whatever they're playing with. And he stands there and they look at him. And the person says, good boy, that a boy. What do you think, that's magically going to make this dog do it? Exactly, yeah. What's he being a good boy about? He's not being a good boy. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So variable reinforcement for correction. If you're not guilty of variable, take those great dogs you're talking about. And that's just the Bolton, Great River, all those great dogs, mm-hmm. okay, that won consistently. They're way out of somebody's range. They're not afraid that you're going to run out and bite them on the nose or squeeze their ear. They're too far, right? Right. They're doing that by habit. They didn't have variable reinforcements. You know, it was... <laughs> 
the e-collar dent has allowed us not to have variable reinforcements at a longer range. Right. That's the only benefit of it. Now, now, if okay. If the dog was only 20 yards from me, I could throw a towel at him. There you go. And get the same consequences, couldn't I? Yep. Now, let me ask you this, though. How do you, how do you mitigate variable reinforcement for an all-age dog, though? Because you're talking about a dog that's half Don't a mile through. Okay. Don't let him get there. You did it all the way through that early training. Okay. So by the time he stretched out a, a half a mile, quarter, three quarters of a mile away, he never even had a chance to do it. That's right. And, he, you know, now remember, in a shooting dog, he's going to be more patterned tended to than an all-age dog would be. Right. And I'm not talking about the Midwest where a dog is taking lines in a shelter belt. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I'm talking the Masters, you know, well, Continental, the, whatever. The dog is going to be down here more or less. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So when we started with that uh, puppy thing, when we started getting them patterned, mm-hmm. if he was starting to back cast, you know, four-wheeler horses cutting him off way before he got behind us. So it's a timing deal to anticipate he, he's having an impure thought, okay, and help him have good thoughts. And then later, when he started going back, you're not talking to him. You're not blowing a whistle telling him to get out. Is if he started turning back, he's going to be tap, 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 and he turns in front and stem goes off, and he learns to avoid that. And he says, okay, when I'm running 10 to 2 and I'm staying in the front and I'm not back casting, I'm not going lateral to, you know, 5 o'clock and 7 o'clock, yeah. life is good. And I find birds. Yeah. That that is how we're doing it anyway. Yes. All right. They and it's a little different the shooting dog now than it's gonna be the all age dog. Yeah. So we're not gonna be getting a dog to run out of the country first. Okay. It would never get the dog to run out of the country. Right. Even out here, you know, the all American boat was probably running at I don't know, eight hundred yards maybe. Okay. Uh, so he's not running at a mile and a half. So that's you know, that's the all age game. And that's a little different. And that's, you know, I don't have that area of expertise because I don't play that. So like Todd does or Chris Peak or, you know, Gary Lester's, uh, Luke Eisenhart's, okay, Jamie Daniels. Right. Okay. They know that game. You know, that's not the game that I, whatever. Right. We're, talk, we're talking about the shooting dog game for the most part, which is, which is, yeah, again, which shooting, is, which is but my game. The shooting dog is your gun dog. Yeah. You know, you're shooting, you, you know, well, I won't mention the guy's name because I don't want to say it in the podcast portion, but I love the story. Okay, guy was down doing an article on us from one of the magazines, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was the Thursday, and the Masters started on Monday, I believe it was. So on Friday, Sean and I are going to be running about 16 dogs that are entered in the Masters. And I said to the guy, hey, you want to go with us tomorrow? Okay, well, we're going to be running some dogs going in the, in the Masters. He'd done the article with me and so forth. Sure, I'd love to. So you got to ride a horse. And said, oh, man, that's why they made cars. So that we get a horse that'll be be fine for you. Mm-hmm. So well, I need to bring a gun, do I? And I said, yeah, bring a gun. Okay. So he ran 16 dogs. He shot at at least one cubby over every one of the 16 dogs. Mm-hmm. So that night at dinner, he says, blow me away. He says, where does this start that you can't hunt over a field trial dog? I said, because guys like you have been writing it for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And he had never seen a field trial dog. Mm-hmm. So it's like the guy tells somebody at the bar or tells somebody else at the bar or tells somebody else at the bar. You know, my dog has learned to circle the birds and he points them when he's upwind of them. <laughs> okay. the, uh, and it just becomes this thing because it's not true. Yeah. You can absolutely go take any one of those dogs. What are they, 
they're going to hold point, aren't they? They're going to find birds. <laughs> okay. Well, what more is he supposed to do in order to go kill birds over? Right. Well, you know, and it's so funny you say that. <laughs> Again, we I think the theme of this, and, and this ain't going to be the title, but the theme of this is is the mythology, right? There's this mythology right. that there there's that field trial dog and then there's the hunting dog. They don't do the same thing. Right. I right. don't subscribe to that. And, 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 and I've learned that, be, you know, hunting with guys on plantations down here or training with guys on plantations where their field trial dogs were the same dogs that they took on guided hunts or things like that. And, Absolutely. you know, it, it, and, and so <laughs> there's this misconception that the dogs can't do the same thing. No, uh-uh. the dog knows the situation. You know, Absolutely. the the dog yep. is, and, and and he's gonna handle the same thing. The best thing I like about the shooting dog circuit, um, which is what I'm running my dog in. I I, I know for a fact I don't even have an all age dog. First of all, I, I he doesn't range mm-hmm. like that. At at best, I'm gonna get two sixty to three hundred yards out of my dogs, and that's a long way in the piney woods. First of all. But even that long range is being made now. I mean, the dog, is, I mean, you might have genetic ability and desire to go run and, and do it. Yeah. But it's still a training thing that got him running that big. Oh, now. yeah. I, I I absolutely. And I, and I think it took me to have a come to Jesus moment with myself to say, dude, you, you made this dog a 260 yard dog. Mm-hmm. That was a that was a come to Jesus moment for me. Um, and, and, and that's a tough pill to swallow, but it is what it is. You know, take this little tried and true puppy that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Not a tried and true dog. And, 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 we, and, and, and we've mentioned Dunn's tried, tried and true for a second. Excellent dog, by the way, if folks haven't huh. looked him up. But go ahead. I'm sorry. You look at his pedigree. I mean, you know, down with the dollars. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, there's a legacy there. There you go. Anyway, so, you know, this little pup. Okay, let's assume she's talented. I mean, whether she is or she isn't. Okay, I mean, eleven weeks old. I can't tell you everything about her, and she looks like a little pistol right now. If I put a bunch of birds out from twenty to fifty yards, and I have no birds beyond fifty yards, and I do this, let's call it half a dozen times, if I even need to do that many times, how would this dog run? Would she run a thousand yards out there? Or would she run fifty to a hundred yards? She's gonna run. She's gonna what you run with trained her for. She's she's gonna run where she found birds. This yep. is how she found birds. Yep. She's gonna run where she so, she got the most exposure. Now you had a dog. There was a big running dog, and you carried some birds in your vest, and you're walking out, and you throw the bird down in front of you. When it comes back around, it finds a bird in front of you, and you're running a virgin field. You've cleaned out. There's no birds out there. It's a grazed cattle pasture, mm-hmm. and you throw a bird out. Doesn't see you, and every time it comes back around you, it finds a bird near you. Would this dog keep checking with you let you ever blowing a whistle or yelling and screaming at it? Of course it would, wouldn't it? Right. And who would it be doing it for? I'm saying this not for you. I'm saying it for you listeners, really. Who would it be doing it for? He'd be doing it for himself. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to be much more motivated to do it if he believes he's doing it for himself than if he believes he's doing it for you. If I took this little puppy that we're talking about, any one of them, and I put it on a table and I push its head down, What's it going to do? It's going to push its head back up, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I say, oh, you want to have your head up, and I push it up. What's it going to do? It's going to push back at me. Right. He's a push-pull animal. You know, so he wasn't born saying, oh, all I got to do is know what you want, and I'll do it. I mean, you know, there has to be, he has to, 
believe that it works for him. So let me let me come back to those four curses that I before I started rambling. Yep. Okay, variable reinforcement. Okay, for corrections only. So if you're consistent in your correction for the bad behavior, pretty soon that bad behavior is not ever going to be there. So if you say it twice, twice, that is a variable reinforcement. No consequence for the first disobedience, was it? Right. That's right. Free lunch. You don't have to earn it. Right. Well, why should the dog then say, I got to do this to earn the paycheck? I get it anyway. You know, that's giving him the retrieve. He wasn't steady and he broke and he got the bird. That'd be a free lunch, wouldn't it? Yeah. You, you now do you think do you, th- do you think it's a thing where people are giving free lunch and they don't even realize they're doing it? Oh, no question. They didn't mean to do it. Yeah. Okay. And then the last one and not least important, you can flip them any order you want. Correcting or rewarding a dog when he didn't know why. Mm-hmm. So if we went to a Walmart parking lot, you and I are standing there, and we said, hey, we got a questionnaire. People came through and he said, do you think it's okay to correct your dog if he didn't know why? I believe most people would say, no, I don't think that's fair. If you said to him, do you think it's okay to reward your dog if he doesn't know why? Oh, sure, that's okay. No, it's not. Right, right. <laughs> They're equally bad in developing your dog to be a finished dog. So he has to know why. So, in some, you know, to me, the easy way for somebody to know whether they should correct or not, why do you correct? You correct a dog for giving you a lack of effort to respond in a timely fashion to a learned command. Must be learned. If mm-hmm. he didn't know what it was, you can't expect him to respond to it. That's what you're correcting for. I correct the dog for giving me a lack of effort to respond in a timely manner to a learned command. So what am I going to reward the dog for? I'm going to reward him for giving me an effort to respond in a timely manner to a learned command. We're basically teaching learned with a clicker. Okay. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense, man. Um, that makes perfect so sense. Let's, let's, let's jump over to the, to the war dog, bite dog world. Okay, go ahead. And we, now we're talking about Malinois, we're talking about shepherds, we're talking Mal- about... Yeah, Malinois, yeah. He, he's the pointer of the, of the bite dog world. There you go. Okay. So, the Malinois, okay, he's going to go and find the bad guy. That's, and there's a window up there, and the window is 16 feet off the ground. No ladders, nothing. Okay. And I tell him to jump through that window. He physically can't do it. Right? Can I correct him for not jumping through the window? No. Can I correct him for not trying? Yes. Mm, okay. I see you. I see what you're doing. Okay. It's you not, it's an not an, it's, it's not an issue of ability. It's, it's an, it's an ambition. It's an issue of, um, initiative. Your, your lab is not going to retrieve every bird you shot. Absolutely not. But he's supposed to give an effort to try to. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. And once I and when and once we factor in the conditions that are inhibiting him from doing so, we need to evaluate. Okay, was the correction worth it? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but so many this dog that I mentioned earlier that I got, you know, client dog here that's a little apprehensive about stuff. Well, he's afraid of being corrected. Mm-hmm. Not even how he responds to the correction. He's afraid of being corrected before a correction ever came. Because he got correct in the past when he didn't know why. Mm-hmm. Right? 
So that doesn't get us anywhere good. If the dog knows why he's being corrected, he'll handle it. It's when he's corrected and he didn't know why. That's when he doesn't get good. He either gets case-hardened, okay, or he becomes, you know, softer and apprehensive. So, all right, I'm going I'm I'm to take that question and peg you with another one then. You're on. Is there such thing as ruining a dog? Absolutely. Okay. I, I now and I, I've had a I've had a point in condition and I've usually disagreed with that, but tell me why you think so. Well, let's say I bring a dog in on a check cord. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know woe. And he hadn't had birds. And I say, I'm going to get him to whole point. Never had a bird. Never chased a bird. Doesn't know what woe means. I bring him in the bird, and he smells it, and he says, I'm going to go try to take that out. And I jerk his head back as I scream, whoa. Do you think I can have that dog blink that bird? Mm-mm. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to he's gonna associate the reaction that you had to that abs- that bird. Abs- he ain't gonna want Absolutely. No more. And if I yeah. do that a few times, let's say he's a lot of dogs. Let's say it's Bolt. Yeah. You think we can make Bolt blink a bird in five minutes? Yeah, yeah we absolutely. Can. Yeah, he ain't going to want no more of it. we can. Right. Now, you might get him back because he had all the repetitions. The balance scale went the other way before you did it. So now Let's that... take the person with the new puppy. Okay. I was doing a, a clinic down in Louisiana a number of years ago. They were all these hooks for clinic. And and they all went out and they flashpointed and they jumped in and then they chased the bird. Okay, fine. No matter how aged, no, didn't matter. That's where they were, but they had a bird interest. Put a check cord on and the handler, the owners, brought the dog into a bird on a check cord. This is true. There were 17 dogs in this class. Fifteen of those dogs blinked the bird when the owner brought him in on a check cord. Why did they blink it then? Because they had had their head jerked off so many times mm-hmm. that they didn't have a solution. So they said, oh, here's the picture of my Rolodex. I got a check cord on me. There's a smell of bird. I'm going to get my head jerked off. I better leave. Yeah. But, you know, it was man-made, right? Yep. And I think that's okay. that's 95. 95. There's, there's a trainer that I am not necessarily all the fondest of, but I will give him credit for one thing. Okay, I ain't gonna give him his name because I don't believe in all that drama. But he says that majority of the problems that we have with dogs are man-made. Oh, that's hundred percent. I now, <laughs> and I and I, and that really. But I got to factor in genetics too, because I mean, there's some genetics. I mean, I had a writer bring a dog to a class, and after twenty minutes, I told him, "You're welcome to stay for the class, but there's no sense in you thinking you're ever going to have a dog in a minute. I mean, you never will." Mm-hmm. And I don't mean a I don't mean a good one. I mean a serviceable one. Mm-hmm. So if the dog doesn't have genetics, doesn't have it. One of the reasons you like pointers a lot is not just maybe because of how they're built or their stamina. It's because of that genetics that they point. They're specialists. Yes, they're specialists. I mean, I'm, I'm don't take uh, receipt uh, of something uh, in Maine. George, you're not real good at that. Look, George, I'm I'm an artist. Okay, I I I am a painter. 
Okay, when I when I do my thing, I, I paint abstract pieces. I paint some representational stuff. But at the end of the day, I have my forte. I know my lane. I'm not going to paint nothing super realistic. I'm an abstract painter, and that's my lane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A pointer, that's their lane. I don't need a jack of all that's trades. Right. I want that's a specialist. Right. Abs- right. You you on the money right there. You read me like a book. That's right. <laughs> I mean, he's yeah, he's not. He's not better than that lab at what the lab does best. Right. He's not better than Malamois at what a Malamois does best. But I tell you, he's about the best at what he does the best. Well, it, it, and and it's so it's so interesting you say that. So my um, you may have seen his name pop up, but Steeple Bell, Stephen Bell, um, he writes a mm-hmm. lot for American Field. You know, mm-hmm. we were talking about um. And I have yet to write this article, but we were talking about gambling. It's so funny. This this keeps coming up with with the dogs that we're talking about. But with a pointer, you've got less of a gamble. You know, if I'm if I'm playing space, and when we were talking about those mistakes, Mm -hmm. the more genetics you have, the easier it's going to be to get away with a mistake that you made. There you go. There you go. And we're all going to make mistakes. We're we're going to, but I just I just feel like if I get in a car like uh, with with pointers, with bolt, with with my Vegas, with with even ab- the absolute worst, I'm expecting to get in the car and drive a Lamborghini every time. Yeah, right. Now I might dr- drive right. off the road a couple of times. That right. But for right. the most part. I know that what I'm doing is going to be tailored towards this. And and so that comes to another point of contention with the pointer. Why those genetics haven't been diluted? Well, I don't think a lot of people want to deal with that, man. Not everybody wants to drive a Lamborghini. No, he's got such a bad rap. Okay. You know, if you'd be sitting around the hunt club, say, you know, mm-hmm. deserve. Okay, the guy says, well, I'm looking at getting a dog. I think about a pointer. Oh, you don't want one of those pointers. Okay. You know, they're hard-headed. They run off. They're not sociable. I'm looking at the one laying on the floor right here. He looks like he's pretty sociable. <laughs> the, uh, and what you say to the guy, have you ever had one? No, I'd never have one of them. Well, how do you know so much about them? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, <laughs> I believe that the amateur, okay, the one who's never had a dog, never trained. But now he's going to go to the clinic. He's going to get a mentor. Okay. Somebody's going to help him, not be guilty of variable reinforcement twice, twice, free lunch. Okay. Correcting and rewarding when he didn't know why. They're better off with a pointer. They're going to have more success. They're going to find, yeah, exactly. If they get another breed that has less genetics, the mistakes they make are going to be compounded that the pointer is probably not going to compound them. Mm hmm. You've got a much more specified bloodline at that point. You've got a much more easier dog for him. Yeah. Um, Now, if I was going to buy a retriever, look, I like Chessies, but they're not the right dog for somebody who hadn't had one. Get a lab. Get a lab. My a lab was my first dog. (laughs) That was my before I got it. Before I why because it works. Just do what works. I mean, that's right. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, when you look at the money game, 
so in the money game, it's not a prejudice thing, right? It's I mean, mm-hmm. whatever Dodge's going to win is what the guy wants because he wants to pay his oil bill. There you go. And in the history of the game, the Sutter's won it three times. Well, since you know mid sixties. So Johnny Crockett and then uh, uh, Shadow Oaks both twice, right? Right. So three dogs since what sixty six or something like that mm-hmm. that weren't an English pointer. Yeah. Boy, I tell you, those those are pretty big statistics. I mean, it, it it's hard to argue with it, and and mind you, I mean there there will be a setter that hap- that pops up again. You know, there yeah. will be at some. It just based on just based on the odds, it will happen again. Yep. Will it? And in yep. hell, I would even say there will be a short hair at some point in time. At some, just based on the odds, it might not happen three times. You right. might, you might get one. Right, that'll go win. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Well, it's certainly in gun dog stakes. I don't know about it all age. Or- uh, yeah. At okay, so we're, we're at that point. We're just talking about just the design of the model. You know, gun dog stakes. Well, absolutely. I don't think okay, that. Let's take the sled dog. The sled dog, Martin Boosters, won five okay. a rod, something like that. Yeah, okay. okay. You know, trained one in Alaska, good guy. What did he breed to his, these aren't Huskies, they're not Malamutes. They're mongrels. Whoever mm-hmm. crossed the finish line first wins. Mm-hmm. So there's no policing of pedigrees or anything else, right? Mm-hmm. He's bred his dogs, he's outbred them to the English Pointer. Why? The English Pointer processes yep. fat differently than any other yeah. breed. The hound. Why do, why the do you, okay, so now we're going back. Why do you think Robert Whaley was so successful running a line of straight pointers against sled dogs? That's right. You know, now when he was running up in Laconia, New Hampshire, you know, running those dogs, he wasn't competing against Martin Luther. No, of he course not. No, he wasn't. He wasn't competing against Jeff King. <laughs> no, get you know. at, at uh, that at that point, I mean, I'm not about to put a sled dog in Alaska. I'm I'm sorry, I'm not about to put a string of pointers in Alaska. They just cannot. Nah. hack it. They Even can't if they hack stayed it. warm. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> what I'm saying is though, spread it out because how he processes. Okay, his fat. Yeah, he's more effective. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the dog down. The reason they have that endurance is because they're metabolically different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, I mean, you're a lab guy because you get lab and you like them. But you know, I'm not even talking about speed. Your lab can't stay down for as long a period of time Mm-mm. as your pointer can. Man, George, when I tell you just this past weekend, my lab was breaking down. Yeah, it was sure. breaking down, and it's just it's it just in sure. my pointer. He was sitting there like, hey, ain't ain't nothing wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, 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 they're just don't, different don't dogs. Don't take your pointer hunting. Don't take him see duck hunting in Maine now in January. That's yeah, not gonna work now out now well. we ain't gonna my my pointer be looking like my lab was down here. And and honestly, <laughs> yeah, he would be. And and honestly, that has been my big point of contention. Um, with getting another lab, I love hunting a flusher and a retriever. I, I mean, a flusher and a pointer together. It, it's it's nice. It's traditional to down here. It's all of that thing. It's all of that, mm-hmm. right? But honestly, George, it's just too damn hot. It's, it it yeah, just is. Your point. Your pointer. It's not just because he doesn't have the hair. He's just metabolically different. Yeah. Yeah. He's a southern bred dog. Let's start there. It, yeah. 
he he was bred he was bred for your neck of the woods. Now you can use him. I mean, he's won the national grouse championships. He's mm-hmm. won. I mean, you know, he wins. Yeah. The uh, and the reason I think you see more setters in the grouse woods, and I lived in PA, and you know, somewhat knowledge about the grouse woods. The uh, you didn't see the top pointers competing grouse woods. Great game, but the game of center work because your top pointers, the purses are nowhere near as big. Mm-hmm. And if somebody who's got top end pointers. They weren't running them in the grouse championships. They're running them in shooting dog or all age, or mm-hmm. you know. They're running them down here and out west. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I and yep. I love me a setter now. Don't get me wrong. Love me some setters. I'm get hell. I'm getting one. But that's right. It it just it it's the game that you decide to play. You know, and hey, there's some really dandy short hairs that'll you know can burn it up, slam point, find birds. Mm-hmm. But if we look at betting odds, okay, the short hair is going to be more prone to put his nose down. That's going to make him a better tracker, innately, a better go. retriever. But he's not going to find more birds. That dog that's running with a high head, taking every wind current, mm-hmm. is going to smell birds further away than a dog that has his nose to the ground. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. That now, doesn't mean it's not great short hairs. But when we get to the NABDA game, who's winning? The right. short hairs. That, you know, right. they're they're beating out the Munsterlanders. It the yep. short hairs in the NAVDA game are the pointers of the American Field Trial game. That's right. And Nastry, you're going to see a lot of short hairs because mm-hmm. more people have them. Yep. Not because we just sold the bolt puppy to a guy who's going to play Nastry, and it's not a puppy. It's I don't know, uh, fourteen months old, something like that. No, ten months old. The uh, he's going to win with his dog. I mean, no if and but. So it's not going to be in that game because he's just got to run under time clock and go find birds, right? The uh, so that dog will do is great. Uh, it doesn't have to be on the shooting dog circuit to do it, but he's going to win with it. Mm-hmm. You know, not a question in my mind about it. Right. And see, and and nope. even with that, you know, you you bring up Nastra. I'm running. Um, I'm I, and I'll say this: I'm American field dedicated. Because of the tradition and because it's the original field trial game, but I'm running Nastra, um, a couple of trials I'm here big, and there. I'm a big support. I'm a big proponent of Nastra. Yeah, people a place to play in a fun game. There you go, and 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 it's fun. You know, it's well. I mean, all of it's fun, but I think it it it's kind of like the great equalizer. You know, for right. for the what well, we talked about playing the Masters and public golf courses. Exactly. You know, you, you know, don't. I mean. Like I will, I will never be a you. I will never be a Tommy Rice, and I can. I, That's different. I, Maybe not Tommy, but you can be me in a small <laughs> morning. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, uh-uh. I ain't gonna, ain't, ain't gonna happen. But with the Nastra game, though, it opens up the playing field. You know, really? it, 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 it does. Absolutely. You don't, you don't need a horse. And I, and I've got a good buddy of mine that I mean, he lets me train on his grounds and things like that. And, he is whooping ass in in in, in Nashville right now, George uh, and George, George Gordon. Yeah, you can shoot. Yeah, and you can shoot. You know, and that's appealing to a lot of people. Right, and and then you the know? best part about it is you're done. You 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 do, you go Saturday Sunday, and you're you're back at work on Monday. You know, that's the other piece about it. So, I mean, all of the games are different, but they they have their pros and um, and their cons. But to me, the American field trial game is 
is where you're going to find what we need to be looking off of. Um, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but what, what we need to be looking off of. It's the dogs for the improvement of the breed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what, that's what it is. Yeah. You know, I was on, this is in Flushing Dice, but I was on that original committee for AKC for the hunt pitch. Mm-hmm. And the field trial community basically didn't want any part of it because they felt they already had the credentials, right? But even a puppy has to be stayed away and shot in the Springer game when, when it's just on pigeons instead of pheasants for puppies, right? Mm-hmm. And my argument, in fact, the field trial community was, it's going to happen anyway. This is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So why don't you join it and help the people instead of having maybe a show person judging these trials, and then that will deteriorate the quality of the dog. Yep. Okay? And I'm not trying to create a range war with those people, but the performance you know, performance caught. The, uh, so a show springer and a field springer, I don't know another breed of dogs where the dichotomy is as big as that. Yeah. You know, maybe it's, it's setters it can be, show setters and, you know, and field setters pretty big dichotomy there too well at, at that point man we you know we just talking about aesthetics there and people just deviated from the original purpose um and that's its own whole conversation but for the most part the standard for akc and things like that was i mean they still they're still upholding the standard i just i just yeah. think that the pool is a little bit smaller you know i agree um, I, I, I think the pool is a little bit smaller and, and what we're working with. Um, and again, that goes back to what we were just talking about. I mean, American field, field dog stuff, but there is no, there's, there's none of that show stuff that's kind of gotten inter, intermixed in it, you know? Um, okay. you know, so, I mean, it, it, and we can go on with this, this, that that's actually its own other podcast. Um, and I and and there's a piece of me that wishes that we still had the 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 cross the um I guess the cross breeding of confirmation and field trials like what they used to do in the early 1900s. Yeah, you were talking about that with Jeff when you were on the thing with it. Yeah, you know, and of course I'm a performance guy now. Yeah, so I believe the confirmation that's in the pointers today, the bolts or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Tommy's very, you know, very thrilled. Um, they got the confirmation for doing what they're doing. I don't know how you'd make it better. Yeah, you know, the uh, so when you look at the size of the lung, which is their engine, mm-hmm. and compared to their body mass. They just got a lot of RPMs, don't they? Yeah, they they can just yeah. run longer, and that's. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. you know, it, it's. Um, I was talking to Billy Morton, matter of fact, and one thing that he stresses, he was like, "Man, I just want a three-hour dog." Well, eating, he just wanted a three-hour dog. A dog wasn't worth nothing if he couldn't run three hours. Right, right. At, yeah. at that point, and that's one thing I think that the all-age dogs. I mean, Bolt is with Will Wild again, who's. All of fame, all age. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, and I'm not saying Bo, Bo would be an all age dog in the East for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, that thing that the all age brings to it because of how the game is done. I mean, when they have a callback, you know, 
it's, it's a long time. So a dog has to have that endurance. Yeah. So I think with the all-age dog that's brought into the shooting dog, okay, over some of the big-name dogs of 15 or 20 years ago, mm-hmm. okay, he's brought in more athleticism and more heart. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a fine line of not having too much that he just runs out of the country, okay? But the right ones that came in, they've helped the shooting dog, gun dog, pointer, I believe, a lot. Mm-hmm. They've, they've given him more stamina, more athletic ability, okay, um, more endurance. Okay? Yeah. The, uh, so I think that those shooting dogs of today, okay, um, are probably stronger dogs than the shooting dogs of yesteryear. Oh, absolutely. 100%. agree with that. And that's what we should be doing. I agree. He's not going to have a stable of six dogs to go hunting. He wants one or two dogs he can go hunt with and take his week vacation and have a dog. Absolutely. Maybe some other time we do another podcast somewhere we get Todd Schubel on or something like that and we talk about, you know, the supplements, not not even, you know, I feed Perina, okay, but, but... Some of the stuff you can do to uh, help a dog handle heat. Well, okay. Okay. how you can replenish his glycogen. Now, okay, so let let me let me let me let me catch you on that before I, I we we get to the last piece of it. You know, you're you're Purina guy. I get it. it it's yep. all good. I'm a Yukonuba guy. And, uh-huh. and 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 there is no point of contention there. It's it's literally just about. Honestly, economics, who we're representing, who we're sponsored by, but then also just what we prefer. I like Yukonuba. I really like Yukonuba. Mm-hmm. And I fed Purina mm-hmm. Sport um, way back in the day. Um, so it's not even a, a, a us versus them type thing. It's just a, a preference thing for whatever reason. But let's talk about nutrition. You know, what should a dog be having to, to be at its peak performance? Metabolically sound dog doesn't have allergies or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, dog does not get cholesterol. He doesn't have triglycerides. Okay. So when you hear somebody say, "Oh, you don't want to feed him a high protein diet because it gives him, you know, cholesterol or whatever," mm-hmm. the person does not. They're, they're ignorant. Okay, and I don't mean that nastily, but they're they don't know. They just don't they're, know. Lack of knowledge. They don't know. Okay, so I think that they cross the board. Okay, we just said in what's manufacturing dog foods today, they're so superior to the dog foods of 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, we used to supplement before, you know, uh, you know, raw meat, okay, fish oil. Hey, we don't do that anymore uh, because the food is nutritionally complete. The uh, 30% protein, 20% fat diet, okay, is right. Okay, the we feed the same thing 12 months out of the year. So we're not going to feed him less than a tier one diet because it's, for us, the summer roading program is, you know, is is more uh, taxing on the dog perhaps than most guys hunting is going to be. Right. So we don't really have that long layoff of not having, not needing sound nutrition, you know, so we need it all year. But even if the guy says, oh, I live in Georgia and I can't hunt during the, you know, July and August and does get a layoff, just feed him less. Don't feed him a worse diet. Right. 
eating tier one diet, just feed less of it. You know, calories in, calories out. Um, as a benchmark for somebody to understand it, for every 10 degree rise or fall in temperature, okay, is 7% more or less calories just to maintain his, his body weight if he didn't increase his work level, right? Right. So you feed him more or you feed him less, okay? But feed a nutritionally complete diet. Don't uh, add table scraps. Right. Uh, you know, feed a, you know, a quality dog food, what you're doing. Okay, feed a quality dog food. Uh, try to feed about the same time. Feed uh, wet, okay? Do you know who Todd Schubel is? No, sir. I'm going to call Todd and tell him that we've now become phone friends, looking forward to becoming hunting friends. Oh, we, okay. we, we, we hunt friends now. Yep. Uh, okay. As a company called Elements Nutrition. Okay. Okay. And he's a PhD. He runs lab field trials. Okay. And glycogen, he means glycogen replenishment thing, it's huge. Okay. okay. I mean, it's just huge. The, uh, if you took your dog and you were using the R, which stands for recovery, post, post-exercise and hunting for three or four days, you wouldn't have to wonder if it makes a difference because really? it's replenishing his glycogen. Your dog basically, he burns his glycogen. He has two fuel tanks, a fat tank and a glycogen tank. Mm-hmm. So the fat tank is the, the, the fat tank is there for the long haul. The glycogen is your rocket burning. Okay, So that's a small tank with an easy-to-open tap. Mm-hmm. A fat tank is a large tank with a hard-to-open tap. That's what conditioning does, is allows the dog to metabolically change and start using his fat tank before he emptied his glycogen tank. Okay. Right? So therefore, he's going to have more endurance. Right? The dog, metabolically, is not set up to do what we use them for. They don't hunt multiple times in a day or two days in a row or three days in a row. They go out and hunt, lay around four or five days before they go on a hunt again. So he's not set up to do what we're using them for. So that glycogen that they're, when they're laying around and eating, they're rebuilding their glycogen tank and filling it back up again. This product's made that will replenish his glycogen so that they're the same dog in the afternoon that you had in the morning. That's huge. I I need to be introduced to him because that makes a huge huge difference down here in the south. Called H, H will H, it incorporates water into the cells, uh-huh. so it becomes an internal misting system. It can reduce the dog's body temperature by one to two degrees. That's that's a huge difference. That's a dog, huge particularly difference. Where he lives. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I would okay. love if you don't mind, man. Let's 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 no, get I'm him. I'm going to call him. Okay. Tell him that we talked. Okay. Um, and I will send you his contact information. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a wealth of knowledge. Okay. I mean, a wealth of knowledge. Hey, man. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Because I, I, I the, would like to. I will send you a. I will send you a PowerPoint that he did in conjunction for Michael, one of Mike Lardy's seminars. Okay. And I will send that to you. You got to send me your email address, right? I'm actually so about. A, I'm about to send it to you right now. Matter of fact. Okay, and I will send you. I'm not to do it now, but I will send you a podcast he did. And I want you to look at that recovery stuff. It's it's pretty in depth. Mm-hmm. It's pretty monumental. Okay, on 
using are and the amount of water, okay, that a dog needs. So when you're you're hunting or with your dog, you can look and he pees. Do you look at his do you look at his urine? If it's yellow, he's dehydrated, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Okay. All of those things add in whether the guy's gonna go hunting for a couple of days or whether he's running a field trial. He's conditioning. He's roading. I mean, you know, it, it's the science of nutrition. There's not an athlete, a human athlete in the world that doesn't have special coaches in nutrition, right? Right. Every right. every hunter, everybody who listens to your show, their dog would benefit, okay, if they were a little bit more knowledgeable about not wives' tales, but truly, okay, how to help their dog. Absolutely. That's that's a word I'll, right I'll there. Send you the information, but I think it'd be good in the podcast, and and I think you just in talking to you because you're you're about this the dog stuff. <laughs> hey, I think you, I think you I think you'd find it very interesting. Absolutely, and, and I think and I'd be shocked if you don't incorporate some of it into your program. Oh, it's it's already there. Well, I am so based on this two hour and twenty four minute podcast, um, you have literally <laughs> made me a believer, Mister Higgox. So I. I I'm, I'm enjoying it with you. I hope, I hope <laughs> you and your and your listeners get something out of it. I will yep. send you that stuff, and I look forward to our past crossing in person. Look, let me let me ask you this though, before you get off though, before you get off, one more time. Yep. Look, this was this was my um, the listener that that is uh, that's asking a question. His name was Anthony uh, Anthony Grimaldi is is how I guess how you pronounce it. But he wanted to ask you, um, he said, for a dog that will be campaigned later on in life, assuming you had to do one or the other and no combination of the two, is it more beneficial to run that dog on wild birds during his first season or to take advantage of puppy derby stakes? Run it on wild birds, not do puppy stakes. So just run them on wild birds. Mm. Okay. Why? What? Now, what? What do you think is the difference there? Well, here's what I don't like about puppy stakes. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, we talked about variable reinforcement last night. Yep. Okay. That you know, the dog makes a flaw and he doesn't get corrected, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to eliminate it because his his behavior was learned with variable reinforcements. So when you're at a trial on a puppy stake, he's not finished. He's probably going to make some mistakes. Maybe it's bird work, running, didn't handle, back cast, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And you've got no way of correcting it. So now he becomes, he, he run the risk, he becomes field trial wise. Okay. That when he goes to trial, he goes, hey, look at this, man. Judges, guns, and, you know, a gallery. I can do whatever I want. Right. And a field trial wise dog is, he can be really hard to fix. So I don't like those variable reinforcements. So other than, you know, a guy wants to go play for the fun of it, you can set up everything that the derby or the puppy steak is going to do with just getting a bunch of friends and buying the steak and beer and doing a mock trial. But that way you're still able to, you know, correct mistakes that the dog is doing. If he makes those mistakes in a field trial, you can't correct him. Well, then it becomes a lot harder to get him to be stellar, doesn't it? Right, right. You know, so... I look at the puppy stakes in most cases for people. They want to go play. They got their dog. They'd like to get out. Okay. And it's a social event and they're going to go run their dog. I don't think it's necessarily in the best interest of the dog. 
And if that dog runs a bunch of puppy steaks, then that starts becoming a habit and it can be a difficult problem to fix. Mm -hmm. Right. So if somebody really thought they had a, you know, a big time competitor down the road, I'd be looking at training and not running puppy steaks. Okay. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I didn't, I didn't do any puppy steaks with my dog. I, 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 I actually ran him up when he, he wasn't even a derby. Like this is technically his derby year. I ran him as a derby or in derby stakes, open derby stakes. Matter of fact, um, as a puppy and you know, I mean, obviously we had our shortcomings. We found more birds than everybody else did and pointed them and held them, you know, broke to the, to the fine, but his race wasn't, it just wasn't forward enough, you know, but. Well, that you can fix. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, got to get it. So that's not the stuff that would bother me more. Uh, we had a dog that I think is a, really has a big future in front of him. Mm -hmm. Okay. And derby dog. And that the, uh, at the all American, his way was how far can I run and you'll never see me again. So, I mean, we just picked him up, you know, Sean Randy just picked him up. We're not going to keep playing this. Right. Okay. So there, he can't, does run out, take some birds out, chase them. But you got a bigger problem now, don't you? Right. Right. You know? and it's okay. I'll be perfect in training because I get, I can do it. Puppy steaks, you know. So, like that dog swaps. He was Springer. I mentioned. I think I mentioned last night. Okay, and I mean, he had a phenomenal career. Right. I never met him in one puppy stake. Was three years of age. He got a third. Okay, uh, qualified for the nationals that year. He only ran two stakes. I never ran him in another stake. The next year, all never put him down. I tried him. Then he came out and he won the National High Point. He won the National High Point. He placed his last Nationals. Uh, I guess he had an honorable mention in the last Nationals. He was 11 years of age. He died of cancer two months later. So he had cancer at the Nationals. We just didn't know it. And okay, he still he had, ran well on it. Well, yeah, he just, you know. So he just sort of didn't know no better mm -hmm. because he didn't get away with stuff at a field trial. Right. Right. I, I absolutely believe that. My buddy... Um, <laughs> A, a, they got one dog and they want to go play and go have some fun, so it's hard for them to sit there. But if your if your listener was saying, "I really think I've got a really competitive dog," I wouldn't. You know, there's not a lot wrong with just saying, "Don't put him in a stake unless you think you're going to win it." Not because you hope you are, or hope he does well, because you really believe you are. Right. And see that that that's even a bold assertion, especially a dog that young too. Um, yeah, that's 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 a you got to be feeling real good about yourself in that one. Well, you know, when you look at the, the games that you and I were talking about last night, all age or you know, shooting dog stakes, the money game. Mm -hmm. There's never been a two-year-old national champion, and I don't believe there ever will be. Nope. You know, now there's other events that have, you know, whether it's NASCAR, NAFTA, you know, have young dogs who are doing really well. But maybe the standard's a little different. That's not knocking those games. I'm a big proponent of them. But, you know, when you start playing for me, it's I lose you. You still with yeah, me? Yeah, there we go. You cut back. Cut in okay. right now. Go ahead. Okay. Anyway, so the, uh, you know, so I, I think that the more repetitions of success the dog has, 
okay, and he doesn't get away with, uh, you know, doing what he wants to do that's maybe counterproductive to what you want him to do, mm-hmm. then it starts becoming a habit. If it becomes random that he's able to do it wrong one day and right the next day and wrong the next day, well, it's pretty hard to get him reliable. Right. Okay. And see, that that's that's the big point of contention. My buddy, um, a, a friend of mine, his name is Joe Plody. He, um, and he just, you know, trains dogs for public and things like that. And he was telling me when he was field trialing back in the day, he said the exact same thing. He was like, you know, some of those younger trials, it, it, it the dog starts to get wise on you. And Absolutely. he hated it. He was like, I hated running them because it was more work on the back end to have to fix it all. If you can, okay, you know, I mean, maybe you partially fix it. Mm-hmm. So let's say that young dog goes over the hill and, and takes birds out and chases them. Well, he had a hoopla, okay? Well, it's pretty hard to trust him when he goes over the next hill, but that time he's going Right. You there? Can you hear me? Check what he did with no correction. Well... You know, that, that might be a difficult thing to fix. Right. right? Uh, as long as you know, the handler says, okay, if I don't just stop running, back casting, run out of control. Can you hear me? Walking there we go. Yeah, say say that you, last part one more time. You can say the judge, thanks very much, and then get my dog, and you're right out there. Mm-hmm. If it's a walking steak and he's, you know, taking a powder, how do you catch him? How do you do anything? You don't. How he gets away with it. Right. You don't get away. Yeah, that's right. You don't. Okay. All right. Well, I, uh, I, I, I definitely think you answered that question. Um, I, I had to get that one in there. I thought it was a good question. I, I just it's wanted. A really good question. Yeah, and it's, and it's my opinion. I mean, there's other people that say, "Well, I think that dog needs the exposures and experience from like, you know." In our case, we're training with lots of people. I mm-hmm. mean, so we might have, you know, six, eight people there when riding horses, running young dogs. So that dog doesn't know the difference between a derby steak and a, you know, puppy steak and another training day. I just don't like that variable reinforcement. Right. It's 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 too much to lose, you know, because it's too of much that. to lose. That's yeah. right. That's just, I'm older than you, so that that way back in time, old Dusty Springfield had a song, "Wishing and Hoping." Uh-huh. I don't think I don't think that's a good strategy. Okay, <laughs> and dog, wishing and hoping. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to be doing that. We need to know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, hey, we're going hunting season. I hope my dog doesn't chase the deer today. What did he do last year? Well, last day of the season, he chased the deer. Well, what the heck you think he's going to do this year? Right. Yeah. He's gonna chase uh, deer. Gonna chase the deer again if nothing else happens. You know, and I, I, it's it's interesting you even say that. So I, um, I've had two instances where my dog had an oppor- had an opportunity to do it. He didn't, but um, oh, shoot, call dropped on me. There we go. You there? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Let me try again. Gotcha. Can you I'm, hear me now? Yep. Okay. I'm sorry about that. You're good. You're good. Okay. You're good. I hey. uh, that, look that that's that's why we have editing uh, software. So <laughs> <laughs> that is why I, all I'm gonna do is just cut that little piece out. It's all good. Um, hey, you know, 
ask, we're talking about deer. People ask me all the time, how do I dig deer my dog? Or, you know, how are you doing this? I really believe if you start your dog off on birds and that's what he gets imprinted on, mm-hmm. I don't think he's focused on deer or trash. I was. Now, if, you just, if the person just takes their dog for puppy walks and they're not getting birds, then there's deer and chipmunks and squirrels and rabbits. Well, that's fun for him to go try chase. Right. Okay. So I think if you imprint him on birds first, I think you got fewer problems on trash later. Right. I was um I was literally just about to to say something similar, not that eloquent, but I um <laughs> <laughs> not not that not my that fourth, cool, man. <laughs> my fourth grade teacher in South Carolina would roll over in the grave if she heard you say. <laughs> well, look, she she just don't she she needs to see George Hickox now, so. <laughs> <laughs> But I, uh, my dog had two opportunities to chase and he never did. Um, because again, like you said, imprinting them early. So one, we were out hunting just in Thomasville, wild birds, and we were actually done with the hunt and, um, walking back to the truck. And, you know, I just kind of let him, you know, go out and he was a puppy, let him, you know, have fun and, and do whatever he's going to do. And a family of deer came out and he stopped and he looked and then kind of looked back at me. So what do I do? And he kind of was like, nope, don't even think about it. And he just kind of stopped and went and the deer went on by their way. And, you know, they couldn't have been any more than maybe 50 yards away from us. And yep. I mean, he just kind of was like, okay, I guess that's not what I'm supposed to do. And we just carried on, you know, um, I'm running a 10 month old puppy with moose today. And on purpose, okay, because if the dog took birds out, I wanted to make sure Moose was standing there. I'm trying to mimic the stuff that could happen to Moose at, at Jeff and Josh's field trial. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm doing a lot of proofing now, okay, you know, birds that might walk in front of them because there'll be a pen raised bird trial. Okay, so I'm dealing with all the things that uh, you don't want to have happen and training him so if they do happen, he separates himself from the competition. So I ran him with a 10-month-old pointer. And there were four deer jumped up out of a, a little thicket. Okay. Moose just watched them. So the puppy, as far as I know, this puppy has never seen a deer, but it didn't mean much to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he wasn't going to go chase him. I didn't tell him. I didn't stimulate him. You know, he just looked at him, whistling. He kept on going, kept on hunting because it wasn't what he was imprinted on during that first 20 weeks. During that first 20 weeks, he imprinted on birds. When he goes out, that's what he's thinking. That's what he's looking for. And anything that's not, you know, he's never chased a rabbit. You know, it, I, I just think if you get him on birds and imprint him on birds early, okay, I don't think you have the same trash problems later. Right. Right. You you, you just take you, it. You didn't give the kid the candy real early. That's right. I mean, and that's a big word, imprinting. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it's been stamped in there. When I go out, I'm looking for birds. You know, now the guy can overdo it. I mean, they keep putting pen raised birds out and go out every Saturday and let the dog start creeping and catching birds. Well, that's not what I mean. Mm-hmm. But last night we were talking, I said these two young pups that I've got, bolt pup and the tried and true pup. Okay. They're off of pen raised birds now. Okay. And they've only been out a couple times on them. But they're already showing points. They know what a bird is. They've been imprinted on birds. If they didn't see a bird for a year, okay, they're still going to want a bird, aren't they? Right. They're going to want it because that's what they know. They're going to want it. But they still, no matter what the pedigree is, and he still, those that are positive, 
during that imprinting stage, it doesn't take very many repetitions for it to get imprinted. Okay, that's why when he's when he's older. So if you imprint him on birds early on, you know that's that's what he's focused on. That's what he's right. To, you know, to recreate sports and down and let them go chase squirrels. Okay, when I take the puppies out, even puppies. You know, we got some birds out there. You know, I'm saying this is what your life is. You might be on the couch watching TV with me in the evening, but we was in deer scat and and go No, don't muck around here. Just kind of maintaining the control of the situation. No, I, I'm here for it. That, well, maintain the control, guaranteeing the outcome. I yep. mean, that's a big part of training. And set your training drills up so you guarantee the outcome. Yep. Minimize minimize the, the, the opportunities for anything else to go south. I mean, it's... Until much later when the dog is further along and you start proofing him. Well, yeah, you're proofing him. Absolutely. Um, I just, uh, I, I just don't like to see that. You know, and a lot of guys that get these puppies and you want, they want to get the puppy running around and doing this and exposing this. And I'm like, yeah, that puppy. You know, people and I don't want to be tarred and feathered, but you know, people playing hunt test or whatever, I'm a proponent of it. I think any of the avenues for people to go out and have fun with the dog is great. But I call it Saturday training day. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Oh, we're putting some birds out, and we let our dogs out. What did you do last week? We put some birds out. We let the dogs out. What are you going to do next week? Put some birds out. Let the dogs out. The dogs are creeping. They're not holding point. They're chasing. They're shooting birds for them. The dog's got his mouth on them before he's steady, you know, holding point. You know, and it's just not the best productive program. Nope. Nope. Might be fun but it's not in the best interest of developing a world-class dog. No, but that go, that goes to that same piece. It on, on a human level. I mean, the hunt test thing and I, I don't do them. I don't, I'm not really that interested in them um, for one reason or another, but it just, sometimes I think people get caught up in the social aspect of it, which, you know, uh huh. say that again. I say no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They people get caught up into the 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 social aspect, and sometimes like we don't need to go out with with friends. Sometimes we need to just <laughs> go get work done. You know, um, yeah, right? And and, and we were talking about with Sean Kinkle last night. I mean, we go to work, and Billy Stewart's there, and Curtis here, or whoever's joined us. I mean, we're working. Yeah. Just in uh you know, I mean, it's. Get the dogs ready, put the next dogs down, let's go to work. This is, you know, it's fun. You know, you got to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're going to work. So you're not just run around whatever you want to do. Right. Now, you coming down to Thomasville, what, what do I need to do to get put to work at this clinic with you? I will I'll get to you because if you think you can sell some people, okay, for that, I will. We'll make that worth your while. Okay. Look, I'm 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 okay. here. I'm here to work. Um, you just let me know what you need. I'm up here in Atlanta. You know, it ain't. I but, will. I'll contact the place where we're doing. I don't have the date set yet there, 
but we got a we got a handshake on that one, buddy. And we got a we have a hand a whole handshake. You let me know um, when, where, what time to be there, and 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 I'm I'm seriously going to. Um, now I'm gonna bug you, so you gonna hear every good, bad, and ugly that I got with my dogs now, and um, we gonna make this thing work because I, I I'm I, I have look forward to it. Truly enjoyed this. Well, and and at the clinic, I really believe that you'll that you'll like it. I truly mm-hmm. believe that. Okay. Well, it ain't it's, it ain't okay. nothing but a word, and I'm 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 here to help out. So. Um, I appreciate it, man. I'm going to take advantage of it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, ladies okay. and gentlemen, you that is, I look forward to it. Uh, thank you. And, and ladies and gentlemen, that's another episode of the Gundog Notebook podcast. And Mr. Hickox, we will be having more episodes. That's that's a guarantee. I appreciate it very much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yep. And let folks know how, how to get a hold of you. Oh, okay. They can get on the on my website, which is www. Okay. Uh, georgehickox.com www.georgehickox.com me being a high tech person I am <laughs> okay um, you know I have a Facebook uh, thing and that's guess what I'd call it a thing Facebook yeah, <laughs> being yeah. high techy right uh, you know that'll have pictures and stuff from out here but all the stuff about clinics okay or somebody setting up wanting to host a clinic themselves where that's profitable for them that information is on my website. They can look at that. And then any questions, just contact me, and, and I'll be glad to call them and talk to them. All right. Well, there it is. Well, I hope that okay. I, I send some some podcast listeners to you. I'm going to advocate for you, and, and we're going to make this thing work, Mr. Hickox. I really appreciate it, but as I told you, don't make me feel older than I am. It's George, not Mr. Hickox. <laughs> All right, my bad, George. <laughs> okay. I don't care what your grandmama told you to say. <laughs> I, I look, I, I was try. I try to be raised right. That's all. <laughs> Well, what's that old son? I forget who did it. My mama tried. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's exactly. Okay. All, All right. You take care, my friend. You See too. You. Talk Bye-bye. soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Of course, still, we could not do this podcast without the good folks that have always lifted us up. And now we are just making the team uh, even larger. So that goes out to Onyx Maps. Um, check out my promo code GDN20 for 20% off at checkout. We got Yukonuba Sporting Dog. I want to make sure I give them a super thanks because Jesus, man, my dog's coat and his stamina and everything like that is just always on point. We Yukonuba Sporting Dog Premium Performance uh, 3020 uh, formula. And I also want to thank Garmin for rocking with us still for another another contract this season i want to thank uh lion country supply for rocking out with us and and keeping me you know well fitted and formed and all kinds of things like that with all the needs of my dog um so make sure you go to the premium supplier of all things dog training related i also want to thank dakota 283 kennels for staying in there with us again rocking out with us again and go make sure you use that promo code gdn10 get yourself 10 percent off of a dakota 283 kennels all right guys stay tuned for another episode next week
Okay, that's got to be a wild bird dog. Mm-hmm. He just runs the downwind side of a hedgerow. The other dog running the upwind side of a hedgerow. You go, where are your brains? Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you? What are you thinking about? What are you doing? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And 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 those 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 dogs they if they do come up on the point it's almost by accident like you know they caught well, the good yeah. good. Did you have a find or did you have a point? Right. If he just runs down the bird there. He points it. That's one thing. But if he reaches out there, finds the bird, and points it. That's a find. I like finds. So right. I like points. Well, I uh, it, it ain't a whole lot of those, and that's a, that's a dog that is well educated and knows how to handle them and manage them. I mean, and that takes work. Right. And it takes experience for them. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, and you see, I, I saw, um, you know, I, I was looking at um, um, the the little field trial bird dogs group on Facebook or something like that today, and that dang True Confidence is, is out there doing something good again. True Confidence is Uh-huh. That's nice. Yep, very nice dog. Yeah, I would, I would love to see him out there, man. Uh, one of these days I would love to see him. Just well, to, I tell you, you know, like the Invitational only has 12 dogs. I'd like to do a thing where I set out an invitation to the dogs that I that I think that make me right. But I'd love to see a big trial of all the of all the best dogs and handlers in the whole country. Oh yeah, well that that's supposed to be the national. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, it's it supposed is. to be though. I ain't yeah. say it necessarily was, but it's supposed to be. No, that's exactly right. You know, and of course, in the all age now, I mean, it's changed because it aims to get the elite birds because of the radio tracking and mm-hmm. so forth. So, whereas uh, the nationals for shooting dogs, you know, that you know, there's some mixed up there that might be some elite birds and some wild birds. Whereas when you're out west, okay, in the all American or Montana or the all ages, okay, they're all wild birds. Right. You know, and there's something different about an all but a, but a wild bird trial. So now, mind you, why is it just because of tradition that they've still kept the aims, you know, where it is and things like that? Because those, because they aren't wild birds, and that to me, that's the entries they've gone way down. I mean, way back in the past, a hundred plus dogs. I forget what it was last year, but I think it was you know around forty dogs. Okay, so a lot, of, and it's expensive now. I, just, I think who was I talking to? It might have been Steve Hood of Huddle. Okay, to go into it, plus the ground metal. So, I mean, the guy's probably looking at two pounds of all that. They said it's not there. So, I just price is black people right now. Dang. See, that's. You know, and if you don't win, man, you are. Well, I guess the owners are paying for it, but still, that's a lot of money. It's fewer and fewer owners. I mean, they're looking at all age, you know, from the podcast portion, but you're looking at the all age, you know, and you've got Jamie Daniels, and those guys in heart, you know, for the people. But then you have six handlers and they find you know. So, I mean, the all age is getting the same entry.
this will probably be John Hicks told me you absolutely need to come to the Florida championship this year all age because it might very well be the last year that it's ever held. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And <sighs> he's saying, you know, there's probably 400 cubbies on that. Okay. And, uh, but it might very well be the last year that the Florida championship is ever held. And that's one of the, you know, we're talking about history last night. That's one that falls into the history book. Mm-hmm. It's a, a very, very, very significant trial, man. I mean, I would, I, I would, that is, that one in the Continental, I mean, that's, dude, that's where the good ones are made. You know, I, I, I think more so there than even the National, in my opinion. I agree. I agree. You yeah. know, um, I, agree. I, yeah. I, I, I think those, you're, I, I don't think National Championship skill is, is run on wild, on pen brace birds or release birds. I just don't. What's happened with Ames, I mean, it's a shorter, twistier course, but the qualifying trials, you know, can be big running all-age courses, right? Right. So now you've got to change how you're running that dog at Ames. Just, you know, he's got to stay in a course, and it's a narrower, twistier course. It's a shorter course than a lot of the than Mortlach or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's there, but hey, the game keeps on going. You know? Yes. Well, I, I I truly believe that uh, as far as field trials in general, whether it be shooting dog, all age, whatever, they're going to continue as long as we got human competitiveness and some good dogs. We will have trials now. Where those trials will be, that's that's a different story. <laughs> but you know, the average hunter, the average hunter thinks that that field trial dog is totally out of control, the runs out of the country. So. Field trial is sort of a bad word to him, uh-huh. you know. Not a not a gun dog, you know. The uh, years ago, when shooting sports, when it asked me to start writing some, okay, it was my first article, okay. But the guy who was a writer for the matter they uh, got let go, and then you know, they brought me on board. And so his last article was on the value of steady to one and shot, and he was pro steady to one and shot. So this is a hunting article, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy writes in from Montana that he doesn't believe in that because he hunts with a group of other guys. And if your dog gets to stay the wing and shot, the bird comes down. It's not fair to his dog to stay the wing and shot because he doesn't get to the tree. Okay, plus they have hunting dogs, not those mechanical field style dogs. <laughs> and I don't feel obnoxious, okay, and send the, send the things. But tell you what, I'll put a mortgage in my house. And we'll take a you know, big time field trial champion and go run him against your gun dog and see how it stacks up in a hunting arena. But, you know, not fair. So the only thing I think, so, well, my question is if all the dogs are stay the way in shot, you shoot a bird, and you get five dogs running this bird, what is that? So people tend to justify what they want to believe. He says, I believe value. I believe there's a value to stay the way it's shot. I'm just too lazy to train for it. That was probably the most honest response I'd ever heard. There you go. Like, just say that. Just, you know, if, yeah. if that's the case, just put it out there. Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and the reality is if a guy has a dog that goes out and holds point, handles in control, and it's not stay the way it's shot, Right. He's still going to get birds and, he, you know, he, he's still going to eat. He's still going to be proud of his dog and take pictures. Right. 